Welcome y'all to the Black Hoof Saloon, a Wild West Exodus podcast. Mosey on up to the bar and get yourself a bottle of fire water or a glass of sarsaparilla and listen to some good old yarns about adventures of law dogs, outlaws, and weird creatures. So set a spell, water your ride, or your rider, and get ready to tune up your posses. This is the Black Hoof Saloon. Howdy, howdy, all you prospectors, and welcome back to another episode of Black Hoof Saloon. I am joined today on our episode by my co-host, Brian, and we have also in the saloon a special guest. We have Benji Grosek. Say hey, Benji. Howdy, howdy, gents. How's everything going tonight? All right, so Benji agreed to come on the show, and we're going to pick his brain with our different segments we have uh we're gonna try and cover our usual nonsense that we always do and just ramble on but you know what brian last episode what we forgot to talk about we were talking about gen con and we had so much stuff that we wanted to cover last episode we forgot to mention that war cradle at gen con announced a new game they announced mythos <laughs> somehow we we missed it you know why it's because it's not in the wild west it's it's in you know 1920s uh you know it's the whole cthulhu theme type thing and i know a lot of people are excited because this is kind of uh they're gonna give it their special treatment of the whole redo with you know polishing of some of the rules and uh I, i'm kind of excited right, about so a cthulhu themed game from them they they rescued a game you know that's kind of, they've been doing that. Yeah. So it's a Cthulhu game that has been released and they've rescued it. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to dust off the models and, you know, you know, their models have been so good. I don't remember this game when it was out. I, I guess it was a Kickstarter. Did you, did you were you familiar with it? Benji, are you familiar with uh, the Mythos game? No, not at all, actually. So it was quite the surprise for me. Yeah. So I probably saw pictures of it <laughs> when they went through the, you know, on the table. Yeah. So I probably saw and was like, oh, yeah, Cthulhu. But I didn't, like, follow the Kickstarter when it went through. But I just remember seeing something about it. So when I saw the announcement, I was like, oh, wow, they they rescued. They must have rescued it from something when yeah. I first saw it. Yeah, I, I don't know any of the history, and um, I'll have to do some digging on it. And I know I know the boys over at Battle Hammer, they are pretty excited about it. I guess they're familiar with it and actually had uh, some of the game. Yeah, I think they had the, the Kickstarter release. Yeah, and I so think they, they actually they did a video or something. I think Straw did a video. Did. Yeah. So you can go see the, the the original version of the rules. So, yeah. But, you know, and, and, and we also got... One of the things we really didn't touch down on as well is we didn't mention the new the new blog diary oh, from the board. Yeah, that they so, came right out of there. And what was it? So he's released three or four. four now. And I know yeah. there was a lot of pics of dystopian wars in one of them, which uh, right. still looks cool. Yeah, the beta beta for dystopian wars is over. It's back in the studio, and they. They released some of the 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 sketches for the the Japanese 
fleet box. Okay. Right. So we saw all three of the sh- the ships that will be in the. Uh, I'm going to still call them boats. I'm calling them boats. I don't care. <laughs> I'm still calling yeah. them boats. We're land lovers, remember? <laughs> well, I told you once we once we actually get some some in hand, then we could start calling them ships. <laughs> but. But yeah, so we got to see some of the designs for those those new vessels. Yeah, uh, so that was kind that of was exciting. Neat. That was exciting. I actually was describing the game to a local player because they asked me about it. They were familiar with the original, and I guess they, it just dawned on them that it's War Cradle that's redoing it. And yeah. uh, I was telling them about the enlightened battleship that, like, they had it at Gen Con that was shooting battle whales out of it to go to go fight i was just like that's awesome they're just like what <laughs> yeah didn't we get this the sneak peek in one of the blogs yeah i think we did first one i think they, they were showing how you can change some of the arm and arm and it blah, 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 some of the weapons on on the uh the ship or did they have one at gen con they had one at gen con they had it um I remember right. It was enlightened in the union, where the two forces they they had on the table. Um, I once again didn't get a chance to demo it. You demoed it though at Adepticon, didn't you, Benji? Oh yeah, yep, I did, and uh, it is fantastic. That got you hooked on it, right? Well, you know, I spent ten years in the navy. So yeah, so I, I figure. Yeah, I mean, you're you're a navy guy, so <laughs> yeah, you, yep. you gotta see what so it's I about. Am- I am actually a guy who's crossed the equator, so they have a special. So I am a, crust, a trusty or crusty uh, shellback for the Navy. So I spent quite a, a not a ton of time on boats, but just enough to uh, you know to get it to the point where I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. And you know, coming in with that background, the rules and everything that I, I did that did that demo with, they're solid. Um, small things like torpedoes, like you have to travel a certain distance for that torpedo to arm. Uh, which is a very real thing because you don't want that torpedo blowing up right outside your ship or submarine. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's those small details that they really put into it. And the more we played, uh, the, the more enticing it was. Cool. One of these days I'll get a demo of it. I don't know. My, then again, at this point, I think I might as well just wait for the, uh, I'm assuming the starter set to come out and then I'll just dive right in. Literally, like I did with Wild West Exodus, just start buying everything and anything. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they do a two, when the what the two player starter they're going to release looks like. Yeah, and you know, obviously, the big secret is the two factions, right? Yeah, what two factions are they going to roll with? Well, what's your guess? I I kind of have a guess. Well, I think Crown is probably a good guess for one of the two. Yeah, it could literally go anywhere from there. Because you almost want to have a little bit of that flavor of the world, so you might yeah. want to go enlightened. See, I was thinking, I was thinking um, maybe Union to be a tie-in with the Wild West Exodus, and then see something new like the Crown or um, I don't think they would do. Was it the the Japanese Rising Sun Empire? Right. I'm blanking on what they were called. Celestial Empire. Celestial Empire. Right. I don't, knowing that we've seen what their posse box is going to look like, I think that's what their box is going to look like. Yeah. So I think they've already kind of, you know, set the tone that 
that will likely be a box. I mean, it could even be what the what they've been using for the demos, you know, which is Union and Enlightened. We don't know. Well, they, they've changed it up. They they have. What was it before? They had been doing demos with the Crown. Uh, I think they even Latin did the demos. Oh, the Latin Alliance. Okay. Yep, the Latin Alliance and Union was at Adepticon. Um, man, you, you have such great picks there because you can either go with the Crown and the Union, and then you get that whole Canada-U.S. shipping trade lanes, like Stuart's talked about. Like these aren't. This isn't a full-out war right away. Sometimes it's just, hey, let's go take a look and see what's going on here. And then if you remember um, the map, man, I love that map of how far south the Union actually goes. Oh, yeah. It, it goes down in South America. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then you have this idea of such a classic area between Latin Alliance and the Union in the Bahamas. I mean, that just screams pirates and, and sea warfare right there. So I, I'm kind of putting my money on uh, Union and Latin Alliance. That would be a good one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it'll... Crown and Enlightened. Yeah. I mean, some way to get that that familiarity of Wild West Exodus, you know, a faction in there, and then expand it by, oh, here's a new faction in this other part of the world, you know, type of thing. But time will tell. I guess we'll see soon. <laughs> right? Any minute now. Any day. Any day, yeah. <laughs> you were also put out there that because of the delay of the, the beta, or dystopian war, Lost World Exodus will, at this point, will not release in 20, 2019. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't think. If dystopian wars was faster and they yeah and they were able to release it at uh, Gen Con, then yeah, we would have probably seen yeah. Lost World Exodus this year. But they really wanted that beta to percolate in the Sturgeon Lounge. Yeah, uh, for quite a while. They, I mean, they. They were getting really good feedback from old dystopian war, you know, players. And, well, they, you know, they wanted to stay kind of true to those old players. They didn't. Want, they wanted them. They'd rather have them come back than be like, "Oh, this is different. I don't want nothing to do with it." Right. But and I think they did. I mean, I they, they like having that that interaction. Yeah. You know, with the guys who ultimately are going to be your 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 superstar war hosts and yeah. etc. Yeah. You know. But yeah, yeah anytime I, I, that you can take a game and refine it and make sure it, it really stands out, you know, and it has a good uh, story, a good quality uh, that makes players want to come to it, it's worth the wait. Um, I, and I say that because I've done those Kickstarters where you're like, this could be so incredible, and then you get it, and you're like, this is absolutely garbage. <laughs> because they're trying to push it. Yeah. You know? And now those Kickstarters are in my garage, and it's like I, and you know these these retailers are trying to sell them, and they can't sell them, they can't give them away, you know. Yeah, uh, I love that. You know, let's take our time, let's do it right, instead of rushing out a product. Right. Yeah. So I can honestly, I can't see Lost World coming out within a year of their announcement of it. You know, it's just they wanna. I mean, I know they have a number of guys working on the different teams and stuff like that that they they could but you also don't want to like you said brian rush it you want to have a quality product out there they don't want it overlapping you know you don't want to distract yeah your, 
Well, they want to have their their time in the sun, you know, their big moment type thing. So, which makes sense. It also allows uh, uh, those of us who will be jumping into both of them uh, <laughs> to, uh, some, save some pennies before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got to get some more shelving for all that stuff. <laughs> I know because I was like when I was describing what all I have been working on, you know, some of these models I literally started last summer. And like when I got the Deadly 7, it released, I bought it started painting it but then within a month they had the wayward eight yeah so i bought it i hadn't finished the deadly seven but man <laughs> market the k-free and those models look so good i had to put jane together so i didn't i started throwing paint on them and then divine intervention released yep and i, I was an insta buy and insta start <laughs> <laughs> and and then it was like, I was like, okay, you know, these are awesome. I have to play these, you know, and at that time we were having events every month. So I was like, it was a rush to get those done Yeah. because I knew the next set was the infernal investigations. And so it was like, a, you know, I don't remember we talked, we, I think we even talked about it in the podcast. It was like, yeah, I got to finish these because I know I've got that. <laughs> my long one showing up. It's going to be a dead, and a dead stop. Like, I'll have three posses started but not finished. Oh my gosh. <laughs> sure enough, I, I was able to finish them. Then the Infernal Investigation popped, and then it was like, poof, I went straight into them. Well, that's what it's been like lately with the Outlaws for me. And uh, it's like, I can't keep up with them, so I'm actually not even getting them yet. I'm just like, I'll wait. Let me work on what I'm working on now. And then when I have a little more space on the, the hobby desk. You know, then I'll get it. I, I do freely admit I do have a problem. If <laughs> if I had a pre, if I could pre-order them, I would already have the Portal Vanguard, and they would probably already be built and base painted, uh, <laughs> waiting for layers. Uh, and I would have already pre-ordered the uh, Stern Posse. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, my, two primary factions, so my name like, is Brian. Oh, Hi, good. Brian. And I have a plastic and <laughs> problem. But it's just this game. <laughs> yeah. It, it, until, until Dystopian Wars comes out. And Lost World comes out. <laughs> and Bill and Ted. Bill and, and Ted. Oh, my God. No. Who knows okay, what else? I think I'm going to. Firestorm, when that comes out, and Armor <laughs> Clash. <laughs> We're in trouble, Brian. We're in trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I see you got stuff on the hobby desk, Brian. What are you exactly working in? I always ask you in our in our openers, what are you working on? Well, uh, in 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 the process of getting uh, ready for the. The commitment uh, arrangement we have with Tom, I've been putting together his Infernal Investigations models. I'm also using that as a way of, like, I'm recording while I do it. Okay. That way I can, you know, we'll practice get up. Yeah, the two of us are painting. We can, you know, like I've never edited video, so I'm, I'm learning on the go. i edit all those little <laughs> clips that I've done of each of these models that I put together. I'm going to send and, you some video to edit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, use some video to edit. <laughs> yeah. 
right? So I kind of unboxed the video while we were while we were uh, recording a podcast, and of course I'm doing it like like I mean I'm I was participating with the podcast, so we were talking, but I'm like pantomiming with my hands, knowing that eventually while I was showing these models to my phone, I would talk about them later, so right? I'm you you had like two conversations going on, one that you were actually speaking and one inside your head. <laughs> right. So I wasn't really having a conversation, but like as I was pulling the models out, I would point to them and, and I even did like the cards. I was like, while I was showing the card to my phone camera, I was even pointing out that they were the cards in the box were one point zero eight. I didn't say it, but I did. <laughs> so when later when I'm doing the video dubbing, once I've you know done all the editing, I can just you know I could comment then. Yeah, right? yeah. So yeah, there was a little bit of forethought as while I was doing things while I was showing the camera. Well, I can't wait to see what you got, Brian. I mean, I'm I'm excited for it. Actually, today I was actually thinking about like you know, an intro since the video. Yeah. What what we could do to put together, you know, the video like intro to whatever I'm gonna start doing on video for YouTube. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Although now that I do have my Black of Saloon sign uh, <laughs> I may just do a uh kinda like a kinda like a video of of my my town. Yeah. And, do like a fly through yeah. model setup and and then have it go to the the saloon okay with this sign on and then put in you know audio and music it'd be it'd be kind of like going through the uh, uh <laughs> it'd be like going through the old Mister Rogers neighborhood and then they they <laughs> they go to his front door <laughs> but it's Mister Powell's neighborhood. <laughs> Oh man. right! I, yeah, I want to see you start singing in the beginning of that video too. That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Benji, are you working on anything tonight? You asked me earlier, since uh, you're a guest, you asked if you had to work on models while we uh, recorded. <laughs> are you working on anything? <laughs> I am. I am. I am. I was actually very fortunate to snag myself a Thomas Russell, so he's become kind of a linchpin in my new list building for my confederates so i'm actually doing some uh, dixie snipers right now okay okay because uh oh dude thomas russell's awesome yeah no and he disappeared from the website so i was like oh i might have missed him but i was actually able to find one and that man i tell you you know with with my local group and the the train heist campaign what i've learned from 1.09 for list building uh you you almost have to have a set of hands in your list now yeah, yeah. I our our last game at our meetup, we did um, of the train, the first train heist scenario where you're looking for the clues. I put together a posse that I actually pitched my hands out because I went for the you know the juicy name guys, and I kind of think not having those extra bodies out there hurt me a little bit because sometimes the numbers are better, you know, whether it's shooting at somebody or just you know uh, holding down an objective so uh, i may have to tweak that back the other way and put them back in there and see what i can do kind of slim it down i i I didn't have enough bases covered basically i didn't have the toolbox so 
I was missing that one tool that I needed. Yeah, and especially when you have the elite hands, which are so fantastic. When yeah. You can say, okay, I can make the choice between a mass fire or a combined fire. Um, that, to me, is, is really kind of a key. Uh, I just picked up the Corcorelli, or I picked up an Adepticon, and like everyone else, I, I held on to them. I put them together to say, okay, well, a lot of people say, man, these guys these guys been kicking my butt, and I just don't know how to deal with them. Uh, they're so good. Their their synergies are great. So I said, okay, I'll pick pick them up and I'll put them together and I'll start playing with them so I can learn them. Yeah. And they're they're fantastic models. They have some fantastic rules. But to have the toolbox where you think to yourself, okay, I need enough to take care of the quick and the dead, and then I also have to have guys you know ready to take care of those corporelli. And I did a while ago on my uh, What Do You Think Wednesdays, I brought up how many uh, hands cards are actually part of your glory cards. And, um, you know, to go hands heavy is really giving your opponent a lot of opportunities to get a lot of glory points against you. But having one unit to limit how much glory your opponent can get off of you is seems to be a, a well-balanced approach yeah. to say yep you know what i need that pierce i need that i need that hammer right now and with dixie snipers at 30 points a model and you're 18 inches away and you do have long shot and you can say you know what i have a unit of five i need to bump that pierce up to five or six for that one perfect shot yeah um, make sure you hit which you is know, something we were talking about and make sure you hit do that with those guys and and then the rest is, you know, you got some options then. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the and next thing about you that throw down again. the teamwork and then you, you finish them off. <laughs> <laughs> with with, with Jefford. <laughs> well, and the other thing is that, you know, you bring up with this, this new campaign, which is absolutely fantastic, is what I've found in my local play group has found is we spend more time playing the scenario than we do each other. Yeah, yeah. It, um, I think we were talking the other day, Benji, and we were talking about just maps and the scenarios, and we we talked about how that's the third player in the game is whatever the terrain is set up as or what the scenario is, and that's an interesting feature of the game that it's not about putting your models out there and seeing who can shoot the fastest and kill the most the quickest. It's about getting those victory points and playing to the board and the scenario. Yeah, yeah, and even the small things like when you set up your your you know your force and you make those alternating deployments, you have the flexibility to not put all your armies up on that starting line. Yeah, you know, I can go ahead and have the flexibility to put my screening units, my entangling units. I'll put them up front right away, but I might put those, these more important support bosses like Marcus Wayward, Ponce de Leon. Because uh, you know that treasure hunter or those things they bring to the game are so good, but I can put them back here and I can say, okay, let's hang out here for a little bit, but not too long because then, of course, you have the new undercover rules, which is another thing to get those support bosses out. But you know, <laughs> I don't have to set my army up in a straight line at the deployment line. And my first action, I know my first action is going to be something different than, okay, game starts, shake hands, and I'm going to run everybody as fast as possible. <laughs> Well, why don't we go ahead and move out of our, our banter here in the intro, and uh, we'll go ahead and get into uh, one of our segments today. So we're going to go ahead and take another look at some some two 
epic guys that we're going to throw in the Smoke Wagon Showdown, and we'll go ahead and get into that now, guys. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm getting awful tired of your... I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that pistol and go to work. Throw down, boy. All right, guys, we're going to jump right into the Smoke Wagon Showdown for this episode. So we're actually kind of following up. Uh, last episode, we started off the showdown pitting two epic bigwigs in Wild West Exodus in a duel out in front of the, the Black Hoof Saloon. And then at the end, we actually kind of, after we went over their stats and, you know, just a little bit of what they're about, how you would use them and stuff like that. We kind of asked you guys, you know, who would win. So I think we're going to do that again. And today, the the two warriors that we have featured on the show, we actually asked Benji, who's our guest today, who he thought we should cover. And I think we're going to cover Nura and the Third Man. So who do you guys think we should start with? You want to start with the, as I said, supposed good guy? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should definitely start with Nora. Okay. For a couple of reasons. One, both uh both Benji and I, we we probably have the most experience with with uh Alita Nora. Yeah. And then then we'll all all have to dive in and do more theory crafting or lament about what has been done to us uh by the third man. <laughs> <laughs> he, he just wants so love, hard. man. He's just looking for some hugs. <laughs> He's just the emperor, you know, he's trying to rule through might. <laughs> All right. I, don't know if, I don't know if you can say he's ruling through might or he's ruling through brains. I mean he's he's a very he's a very crafty and, and incredible model and backstory there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of the the backstory of these characters is really, really neat. So okay, let's go ahead and, and how you say it? Alita Nura, Brian? Am I doing right? This is all right, so Elite Nura, let's go real quick over some of her stats. So she has a fortune of three, pretty standard for a, a boss in Wild West Exodus. Uh, she costs 165. She's unique. She has a quickness of six, a mind of six. Uh, let's see, where am I? Aim of six. Her grit is six. And just when you think it's going to stay six, nope. Her fight goes to seven, so, so she she's a little bit better at fighting, and she has a limit of three. So she's got a pretty good, you know, it's above average stats for all her checks and stuff. No, oh, yeah, she's good. You know, having a lot of sixes means above average, and of course she is a she is a melee based boss, so a fight of seven puts her in a pretty good position to yeah. you know, swing her uh, staff around and and the sword. So. Alita Nura's, her traits, we, we come in first with boss, of course, order, human, female. She carries a, a tag called Serkan, which uh, was basically, it's the ranking in the order. So Serkan uh, okay. is the the top rank for bosses. Uh, and then she she carries Spica and Astraea. Remember, the, the way traits work, that means there are rules in the game that trigger based on her carrying those. Okay. And uh, some of them will come up later when we 
we dive into some of the things she can do. Hey, Benji, why don't you, you start listing off some of her common rules? All right, for some common rules, um, she has some of the, the, the core ones we see with a lot of bosses. Uh, the, the dreaded, the quick and the dead, metal, largesse, target priority, surefoot, and teamwork. She's got a lot there. She does. She does, right. which is good, because if you look at her weapons, um, she's got a lot of not so far reach out and get, you know get you across the board stuff. So yeah. her, her common rules really play well to her play or one of her play styles. Right. So since we're brought up the weapons, uh, let's jump into some of those. She carries a relic blade, uh, which has got parry and has uh, the new critical for version 1.09 of fatal which means her, her sword basically ignores metal. Okay. So, she, you know, you better hope you have something else. <laughs> <laughs> it has a range of one one inch, which for melee weapons is, is pretty big because a lot of melee weapons are just base-to-base. Yeah. So her she can reach out a little bit further than most melee models. Yeah, most, models. M- most, most of them are base-to-base. You have to be base-to-base. So having a one inch on a, a weapon like that is big. Right. It really does help her against like hand units, right? So yeah. typically what happens when you go melee with a hand unit, you know, if you're base to base, you may be base to base with two, maybe three of them, depending on how how you charge in. Yeah. Uh, but for her, she's going to be able to reach out next to the, you know, some of the other models. <laughs> reach out and touch you with my knife. <laughs> right. Uh, it's not just her knife, it's her, st- uh, her staff. Well, that's, that's just, well, yeah, we're going to get to that because that, that yeah. was even better. Uh, <laughs> uh, so there's a pierce of one for the blade and rate of attack of one. So Relic Blade, pretty good. I like that it has Fatal on crit uh, and, you know, the range on it's pretty good too. For uh, her other melee option is the Astraea Staff. It also has parry, but it also... Your favorite. Specials has stun and refine. Having stun on the staff is really good. So if they do successfully, you know, pass a grit check, they're going to be carrying stun for the next swing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which it, on refined that helps her with her crit for that uh, staff, which is brutal. So it's gonna it's gonna trigger on nine and ten, and so just a little bit extra brutal's never a bad thing. Basically, it's and gonna sting more. <laughs> it's gonna sting yeah, more when she hits you. The other thing is the range for her staff is two inches. So she is definitely reaching out a little further with that. Um, <laughs> and to support that is the Pierce 3, wow. which is just awesome. You know, uh, rate of attack of one, uh, one, but with occasional brutals showing up to, to make the party funner, I think that is probably a preferred route with a weapon. Yeah. I can think of, like, if you're attacking something that you know has metal and that's their only defensive ability, you may want to, you know, go with the Relic Blade, you know, knowing that when you crit, you, you have a chance of ignoring yeah. their ability to fluff that wound off. But the Astraea Staff is just too juicy not to use. Well, and plus it, it keeps your opponent at one inch, and that that great vision that you have is, you know, her holding the staff out, getting to be able to smack you while you just flail your arms wildly. <laughs> like, you can't hit me. You can't hit me. So you can really tie down a bunch of units with her, which is fantastic, because it's like, okay, I'm going to go into this big group, and I'm going to tie down everybody here. And, right. 
even though you're not in combat with me, I'm in combat with you. So go ahead and try to move. Yeah. Okay. So she she picks up a relic pistol for a, uh, a, a ranged weapon. It's ten inch range. It has revolver fan and close work. Hazardous on a crit. Pierce two. Rate of attack of two. So that's it. for not being a shooty character. That's a pretty good weapon. I mean, that's no, gonna hurt. And with six, using it close work. Yeah. If you, if you want a little bit of fun, or heck, with revolver fan, jumping up to rate of attack of four. Yeah. Crit of hazardous. Yeah. Pierce two. That's a good weapon. Hmm. You know, I do like how the relic pistol changed in one point zero nine, and it it does make it a viable option for for her. So why don't we go into specials? All right. She's got quite a few too. Got a few, so we'll just take turns. All right. Jump in. So the first one I'll go ahead and do is a Disciple of the All Shard. This unit may choose to count the Guts bonuses provided by adventure cards played during their activation as being plus one action points instead of the actual bonus printed on the cards. It may never be included in a force with a tainted unit. Okay. So this is basically the the orders version of the Elite Common Rule. Elite Common Rule, yeah. Right. Uh, so they kind of. You know, they in earlier versions they had elite as a common rule, but then they wanted to be able to put in somewhere that you know the order doesn't play well with hexy tainted people. Yeah. So they kind of just merged those and called it the disciple of the all shard. I like it. I, I like how they've been doing that. It's very similar of a you know a action boon. Yeah. As like the for for the lawmen, but this one's very very it's good thematic to them. All right, what we got for the next one? So the next one's one of your favorites, Brian, is Tactical Brilliance. So uh, she gains a plus one to reserve checks, and then once per turn, the unit, when activated, may spend two of her action points to look at the top three cards from either Adventure or the Action Deck and replace them in any order on top of the deck. We This is something we talked about the last episode with the, you know, the Lawman. Right, it's it's like a very big tactical thing to kind of have in your posse because you being able to manipulate that deck is really so, huge. So good, yeah. So it's come up several times when we've talked about you know different rules and stuff, and I believe it came up when we were built like what posses we were going to build, and yeah, I was obviously Helena Miller has it. You know, it's sometimes that's what she did that turn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was set me up for someone else, you know, and, that, and that's all she did. Anytime my boss, Helena Miller, is stuck with it with a low action deck card, that's what she's doing. Yeah. You know, it was like, hey, I don't have enough points to actually have her get in and shooty and, you know, move afterwards. And so she's just going to stand back and be the tactical general. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, set good, up her, her faces to do something spectacular. So really a good, good. Good utility to have on one of your models in the posse. Right. And the nice thing is it ties well because you can keep her back a little bit, and that goes into the next one, which is inspirational. Any friendly unit, excluding this unit, within six inches may re-roll a single dice roll in their activation. That is fantastic for the order because we're looking at a group of, of a faction that's not high on the fortune chips. Yeah, right. that's you know, true. So I'm... I'm sitting here behind Corcorelli, and I'm doing my manipulation, and I'm letting them do the the hard work, and then I'm not using fortune to make these things happen. So uh, that's a great thing, especially when you're talking about 
a lot of these guys, they don't have Quick and the Dead um, on the Corcorelli side. So keeping her as a support boss to them is great. Right. So the next one is Portal Mastery. This is perhaps one of the main reasons that I've really enjoyed Alita in, in the new version. She is so good, and having Portal Mastery is just is amazing. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. This unit has the ability to create or destroy portals. This unit may make and manipulate portal special actions for no action point cost each activation and may determine the direction of any scatter for portals they create. The distance the additional portal model may be placed by the portal residence rule is increased up to 12 inches rather than the usual 10 inches hmm. and also does not scatter. And between the last version and this and one of the biggest things that I was hoping was going to get, you know, some love from 1.09 was the portals. And man, they did. Oh, it's, it's as if it makes the portal. It's not just for Nora or the order. It makes all portal masters in all the different factions that they have them just able to compete, you know, yeah, uh, especially against like the hex and the warrior nation who in the last, you know, card update, got a huge boon from the rewritten rules for them. So it definitely now evens the playing field quite a bit, but the, the resonance, the portal resonance uh, of the new portals is I think an ingenious way of making sure your portal masters do have a niche in a game, especially since the game is only five turns, only one, one portal a turn was really kind of limiting the ability to do something that really is kind of an epic and theme way of playing your posses when that's what your focus you want you want to do so the new way this portal portal mastery and the new portals work is just amazing and, and while we're talking about that we i'm going to jump into the all shard portal because they it got some major tweaking in the 1.09 and since you're not going to play a without throwing down some of these portals you know we should we should mention those real quick so one of the newest things is Portal resonance, basically, when you do a manipulate portal action, you put a portal down, and then immediately it, it generates a second portal. And normally it's 10 inches away, but portal masters get that extra 2 inches. And normally resonance causes scatter for the second one. Well, now there is no scatter for the second one, so it's actually um, more accurate, which if you're going to be a portal master, you should probably should be a little more accurate with your portal throwing, so I love it. The other thing that the All Shard portals get is Blessings of the All Shard. And it's basically kind of similar to how, you know, your your, your Hexaliths had some very Hex-specific superpowers associated with it, as well as being a portal. So this is like the Orders version of that. And it reads as follows. While this unit is in the play area, units with the Spica, Blessed, or Kokoroli trait within five inches of any portal models, note, this does not count totems and hexless or profane nest. So it's just the normal portal models or all shot portals. Okay. Can take a mind check if they are declared as the initial target of an attack. If they pass that mind check, that unit may remove a single negative condition of their choice from themselves. If failed, the condition remains as normal. Units in reserve with Kokoroli. Astraea or spirit traits may spend a fortune point during their activation to immediately pass the reserve check. The summon unit must be deployed in base contact with the model of this with this rule 
and is available to activate as normal this turn, though still count as having made a reserve move action. Okay, so like the condition is a condition that's already been on that unit, right? Not one that just, like somebody shoot at them, oh, they're stunned. Not that one, but one that's already it's been on them. Something that has happened already. Okay. So say, you know, during your activation, you shoot shoot one of my Kokoroli, the Spica, or Blessed, which we may see later, they get a condition. Like, say, um, they had to use metal, and boom, now they have Disordered. When I activate him, I can then use this. No, not an activation. The next time he's targeted. Yeah, okay. I can then do this, right? And then mind check. And yeah. a coke roll unit with a mind of eight, it's yeah, it's, it's a, a guarantee now. almost. Yeah, uh, so it's it, it's 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 the second time they get a shot at, right? Yeah. So it, it, it's very good. There were some people who were saying, "Oh, it's too good." I, I think coke rolling with a mind of eight, yeah, it's going to be they're they're supposed to be a hard nut to crack, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of fits. I do like that. I also like the the the. Once you get your model spread around, it does definitely give you more flexibility of keeping your your order close to portals mm-hmm. uh, as a way of ensuring they have a little bit of more of a defensive ability. Yeah, uh, hand. it's like it's uh, that delicate bubble that if if as an opponent if you can get them out of that bubble, you'll have an easier time cracking that nut. But if they're kind of dug in by their their portals and you just rush in there. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a hard well, battle. The, the one weakness that the Kokoroli have, and people really need to remember that uh, when they build a posse, if they're going to be going against the order, is blasts and templates. Yep. Yep. Something I always forget to build into my posses because <laughs> I just want to go in blazing. <laughs> Especially if they're Lincoln, they have to stay five within five inches of the portal. They're going to be kind of bunched up close together you're bunching up yeah. right yeah <laughs> so just makes you know blast the templates uh <laughs> yeah always remember that or don't shoot. when you're playing my order you gotta shoot the portal too you can get rid of the portal yep yeah exactly but and some people forget about eight. that that's gonna take a little bit of punch to get through that grid of eight well i think that's what uh, i think we talked about that mass mass fire or combined fire yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's that's why hands have gotten better. <laughs> All right, she's got one more special ability. Who wants to? Benji, you go ahead and take it. I've been I haven't been hearing from you lately. Oh, okay, yeah, sounds great. Uh, she has Ford Echelon. As long as this unit is within three inches of two or more friendly non-disordered hands models, this unit and the hands model gain plus one grit. This unit may go on lookout for a cost of one action point regardless of how many combat actions it has made that turn. That's pretty... Uh, for a grid of six, um, that that is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Get a couple people around her, a couple of the Spica, and, you know, she's going to be a little bit uh, tankier or stay along a little bit longer. Oh, no, it's great. And, and what I like about it is it's not just for her. She's going to throw it out to the hands uh, units as well. And then if you have those hands that close, you're automatically getting that six-inch inspirational reroll. So yeah, right. A win-win situation for this. And and for those of you who haven't had a chance to read her backstory, if you go to the store and pick, uh, click on the her portal vanguard or her legendary 
just click on the, the link. Her profile will come up, and that's her backstory. It's a, it's a good read for those of you who haven't had a chance to read it or if you're interested. All right. Brian, should we look at uh, some options with her now? So, like, building options. Right, so. and where do we start with that? Well, I always start with her her posse, right? So okay. she's got a – her theme posse is the Portal Vanguard theme posse. She's so a fairly new posse. A, right. The box is out, so you know who her go-to people are. You know, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, she does have a boon if you fill up all six slots with at least one unit, then all Estrella in the posse gain teamwork. Okay. So she very well, if you build the, uh, her posse, you can play on that and you can run the board a, a, you know, a few, few at a time if you've definitely played checkers with your models and they're all mm. ending their activation within eight of another Estrella, boom, you can activate them, right? So very, very... Yeah, very control esque type uh, feel because you're going to control the pacing yeah. if you can double up, and, you know, throw throw two activations back to back, especially if you're you're cracking a nut on a hard target, and you know you you put you got the disorder down from the first model that you activated. Boom, teamwork. You send in a, a second one. Ooh, and they they were using quick and the dead. So man, okay, teamwork. The third one, <laughs> you know, that's how you take uh, that's how you take out big targets, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you never know what they're going to be able to do to save that model during their activation. Yeah. So you definitely use teamworks as ways of you know ensuring you can take out that target before they can recover. I mean, especially when you think you throw her whole uh, theme together, she has. That going to Spica because her first two things are uh, a unit. They're not specific, saying it has to be a face. It could be an order of unit of hands that you can get that on right away. Yeah, anybody that so, has that keyword trait that we're always yeah, we're always just, stressing those traits. Pay attention to those traits because they always come into play, whether it's a special role or in this case, posse building. Yeah, because you know the teamwork on on hands is great because you now you're getting more and more, and you're actually. What I like about that is you're even to hold unit coherency. You're three inches apart. You know, a unit of four hands. That's going to be twelve inches that you're going to be able to get closer to to yeah. get those chain reactions going. Right. Unfortunately, Spica do not have Australia. Oh, okay. Oh, they don't. Oh my. So that doesn't help with that specifically. So those first couple of. No, uh, they have to be. So they have to be faces. Right, your first two slots uh, are an order unit with the Australia trait, and currently that that means it's going to be a a a face that basically came in her box. Okay. So that that you know you're gonna, I, I don't know why you wouldn't ever always just take slot one as Jana Salto. She's she's a portal master, so having two portal masters means oh my you can throw out <laughs> four portals around, you know, so. It's almost an auto include. They they work well together, and and frankly, Salto's sculpt is so epically awesome. Why wouldn't you want to bring her? Uh, <laughs> then you know, slot two, you have some options there. You can bring in one of the chain chain hook Cocaroli. They they have the Estrella trait because they are basically one of the her tactical units. So 
they they actually carry both the Cocoroli and the Estrella. So you would you know bring one of the two of those, and then the third slot is an order face unit and or an order non vehicle support unit. Non vehicle, okay. So that's a key there. So you want to look at the support units that aren't right the now. They have the two Cocoroli support units. Um, okay, the long rifles or the knife, uh, the sword and pistol. And it's nice you can double up there with the face, too, if you want. That's right. And, but you only have to take one in that slot to get to the, trigger the, the all six. Okay. So if you want to stretch it out a little. But definitely gives you uh, that's where your options come in because you're not limited to just Australia faces. You can actually bring in faces from the other sections. Yeah, see, to me, um, I look at that, and I look at the Aaron brand, and I look at uh, – Helios right there, and I look at their ability to bring in smoke, and then you have so much of this this faction working off smoke to say, hey, I want these key pieces to be shrouded. I'm going to throw down my smoke template. I'm going to get them in there with that filtered lungs. They're going to be shrouded, and I'm going to force you to take more shots at me or roll more dice. So yeah. uh, shrouded is very powerful. Yes. Smoke is... <laughs> <laughs> Smoke is the order's friends. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, the way you're getting excited going over this list here and options, I'm going to have to throw some water on you. You're getting too excited. <laughs> hey, it's my second. It's my, I guess I can't really say it's my second favorite faction. It's literally a a, a dual thing. You know, uh, the, the lawman and the order, or like I like to call it, law and order. Is my primary faction. I'm gonna have to go find a soundbite again. <laughs> yeah, you definitely want to insert the Law and Order theme. Don't, don't, don't. These other stories. So, what do we got for uh, slot number four there? Okay, so slot number four is a mirror of slot three. So it gives you another opportunity to bring up an order face and a non-vehicle support. Okay, it's the, it's still listed as the and or or. So if you're trying to bulk up, that's a chance to do that. Uh, I think bringing the other support Coroli is a really good option. So that way you have one of each. And then slot five is where you really get to stretch. So it's up to two order hands or order support units. So that lets you literally finish bulking this out, right? Wow, up to uh, two. I think Benji mentioned earlier, hey, you know, you're going to want some hands. Well, boom, you can do two full spike of hand units, you know. It, wow. Just nuts. <laughs> I mean, this is this is not a faction that, you know, from what I've seen, that's known for having a lot of units on the board. But looking at both slots five and six, being able to take up to two hands units, holy cow. And, or, like, what I like is, Five allows you to bring in the vehicles. Yeah, that's Two right. units full, right? So five, if you want to bring in some vehicles, you can bring two full units. So you can bring in some, some spear lights and some tumblers. So you can bring a unit of each. Mm. And they're both equally effective in their own way. So definitely don't rule it out when you're going astray. Now, the downside is they're not going to be jumping through portals with you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But they got the speed to get up the board, don't they? They do. They do. I'm just saying, you know, some of us 
still gleefully remember throwing throwing things to portal. Uh, <laughs> and from Benji's laugh, I think he remembers too. Oh yeah. <laughs> laugh or, or shudder uh, depends on you know who uh, we're right, what, what we're throwing through the portals. <laughs> okay, so slot six. We kind of already hinted at it. It's up to two order faces or order hands units. So again, you know, if you want to go full in to some spike of craziness, you can bring four units of spikes just to anchor your your portal vanguard. You, uh, you see me shaking my head, right? <laughs> just like, good God! But what a fortune starved posse. Very true. Yeah, yeah, that is very true. This is where you're going to be leaning on her ability to give you that inspirational reroll, because with three fortune, man, that's just not enough to, yeah, to go that's around. That's going to go that quick. Pile. Yeah, that or you're going to be burning through those adventure cards that give you the plus one, plus two, you know, grant some booms and the uh, different checks that you may need. But man, that still scares the hell out of me. And, and you know, to me, she screams. Uh, let's get uh, Ponce over here with one, at least one of his theme posse to give us that treasure hunter. Oh, geez, yeah. So this is kind of like what we were talking about last time, Brian, is yeah. looking outside the box. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. So she, she strikes me as either a support boss or a very uh, assaulty boss. You can pick and choose what you want to do with her, which gives her that flexibility. I could see her filling both roles in a two-posse uh, force to say, hey, I'm either going to stay back here or I'm going to be up front. Yeah. So I, I, like, I, like, I think tactically she fits well in the mold of supporting your your theme, right? So with, with the posse Vanguard, your theme of what you're doing with her posse is very important with what you're going to end up using her for. So if you're going to go face heavy, you team her up with at least two faces, right? One on either side, flanking her, because it gives them the flexibility to, to not both be on the same target, but then she can be supporting them with the inspiration, but then she can also help with put portals where they need to, you know, so you can get them to where they need to go. And then they, they'll be able to teamwork, right? So with the, the faces... Is she supporting faces? Obviously, your tactics are going to lean towards, hey, we're going to be team working, the three of them, but you're also going to be able to give them the inspiration. The flip side of that is if you're going going to be grabbing those hands at the end of her posse, you team her up with two her between two hands units, and you do the same thing, except now you're, you're supporting hands, and so you tactically are going to be things. You're not going to be able to do the teamwork with her and then than the, the two hand units. But uh, like Pinji said, you're going to be supporting her her hand units with those inspirational free re-rolls. And I think at that point, depending on what you're doing with hand, she's going to be more of a tactical brilliance, you know, here and there. You get, get the extra uh, action points. And then you would take Salto as another prong of Portal Crazies with a few faces. So you have those, those faces will be doing the te- teamwork end of your your tactics. So I do like the idea of remembering, you know, the two conquistador options. Yeah. The themes they have definitely play into helping, you know, obviously if you're going to go for a teamwork focus, you got to go with Callista and her, her mounted units because they all have teamwork. Yeah. 
Yep, you get some speed there. You get some hard-hitting units there. Yeah, definitely. And who doesn't want to throw the the bomb of uh, Antioch? (laughs) 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 All right. Well, I think that about covers Nura. Do you guys want to go ahead and jump into the third man for the hex now? What's well, an even point? Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> wow! Oh, don't make me throw! I'm, just... I'm gonna break the hose out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so our other right. side of the street, we have the third man for the hex. Now, the third man, he's he's kind of a cool character. So he was um, he was a character that they kind of revived from uh, first edition. He was just like a, a he was like an exclusive model, and War Cradle kind of ran with really him. Really, an exclusive model, not an exclusive. Model. He was like a support model or something, wasn't he? Right. So, in the first edition, the Dark Council was basically a a fluff a, accounting of what was wrong with the yeah. Wild West X, right? So, the Dark Council was basically what was sneaking around, encouraging all the different factions to be crazy and want to kill everything. And he was, so he was like the mysterious figure, had, right? Everyone had access to bring a dark council member with their force. Yeah. And it was, it was a unit that would grant free influence. So in the game, we, the version we're playing now, it's called fortune, but then it was called the reroll mechanic was tied up with influence. Yeah. Well, the dark council, because they were influencing everyone with their whispers and encouraging you to do evil things. That's what they were doing. They were giving you that influence to re-roll your dice. Yeah. So that model was a prolific model because in the Kickstarters, you all got one every time you bought a, a posse. So and he was like, he was like shushing you, wasn't he? He was like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> I love that model. He was so, so neat. That was, actually a different that was the re revision okay the original he was standing with his hands clasped behind his back okay that's right right and then they did a model of the month where they were like hey the hood is down and he's wearing a cowboy hat and he is he's shushing yeah he's got one hand behind his back but the other one is shushing so (laughs) uh that one is more of an exclusive because you had to buy it as the five dollar a month club model but then in in the new version, when Warcrow took over, they made the Dark Council a faction. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they merged the Dark Nation into the Hex, and it, it lumped in all the different weird creature things, and they created the Hex as one of our options to play. So it no longer was a you know a behind the scenes aspect of the yeah. darkness, the yeah, blood faction that. You guys can really explore all the nitty gritty, gross, monstrous stuff. That's a little behind behind the curtain look at the third man, <laughs> or, or say under the robe. Uh. <laughs> whoa, whoa! Hey, hey now, say you were Scottish. We're getting a little a little too intimate with one of to me one of the most powerful bosses in the game. Yeah. So good. Okay, so third man, right? Um, so far, we have not seen an, an actual name, so he's he's kind of an infamous guy. So here here we go. Four fortune, so it's a little heavy fortune for uh, most bosses. Cost of one hundred eighty. 
he's unique, so you can only bring him once. His traits, boss, hex, human, male, and tainted. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot there. Pretty basic, simple. <laughs> does he need it? No, no, I don't think he does. <laughs> now, what, what does his stats look like? So he's got, um, what's he got a quickness of four, so he's not very fast. I don't think he needs to be. Uh, he's more of a manipulator, so that's fine. Uh, he has a mind of eight. That's big. That's really big for some of the stuff he does, and we'll get into that. Uh, he has an aim of five, a grid of five, a fight of five, and then he has a limit of three. So he's kind of all over the place with his stats. Where he's, well, I mean, but I don't think they need to be high, you know. No, I mean the, the mind of eight makes complete sense. Yeah, and that that should be where where he is, and the fives all make sense. I mean, he's a little old dude walking around, uh, so <laughs> I mean, where he shines is not in the the cylinder. So yeah, let's jump into his common rules. Common rules of metal, largesse, target priority, and shrouded. Yeah, um, we kind of mentioned shrouded when we we were discussing some of the order tactics. Shrouded basically forces any any what uh, fire like shoot yeah, attack. Any- any targeted re-roll, shoot right. action, yeah, you got to re-roll. And I think that's a common thread that you'll see in a lot of the, the Hex faction. Because uh, I know, like, when you look at the Dark Nation, a lot of the Dark Nation characters have the shrouded rule. Right. And, and, and I mean, basically, the way I envision it is, is, like, they distort reality. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of been whispering into all these people. He's kind of, like being able to hide himself. So that's what the shroud is kind of signifying. You know, he's not like camouflaged and hiding in the bushes. Like, well, uh, he, he's definitely not running fast. <laughs> he's like, yeah. you say he's a little no, old man. I mean, he, yeah. He's, he's kind of like the brainiac bending reality and you're not really seeing him clearly. So yeah. you're, you're definitely going to have to reroll those <laughs> shots. So, so, okay. So he's got, he's four deep in, in weapons. They're yeah. all, shoot attacks he's got some options and, yeah and so that that's one of the difficulties about playing the third man is he has so many options you definitely want to know your card and what's funny is some people love having the professional cards but i don't and the main reason is when i play with the professional cards that come in a box i forget about the specials on the other side yeah you're constantly you know, flipping them over I mean, that's yeah, like, and you forget. I print them out man, nice when you and print them out big, side by side. And yeah. It, it, as you just casually look down at your 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 model, you're like, or your card, you're like, oh yeah, dude, he's got that special ability, you know? Because especially when the entire back of your card is ability after ability after ability, <laughs> yeah. you will get some. So I definitely want to put that shout out as I look, print them the way they are. Do not fold them. Leave them flat down. You it will save you so. So yeah, much. There's, oh man, I forgot he could do that. <laughs> there's not very many characters that on the back of the card when they go into special rules that it takes up the whole space like him. <laughs> All right, so the first weapon, uh, what do we got there, Eric? So we have. Okay, you know what? I just realized why you picked me to say this because I can't say this word. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I. <laughs> Man, I knew that. That's... He's he's evil, is he not? Are you sure you're not a hex player? Hey. 
So we have the Tenebra Shroud, which See, is a blast. There's no way I would have said that. <laughs> Crit lethal. It's a range 8, pierce of 1, and a radio attack of 1. And, again, that blast is great for anybody you're up against anybody with a quick and the dead. Yeah. Second weapon is a shadow portal. Another portal weapon, complex, and it has a crit displace. And that's going to be a range of 12, pierce of 3, rate of attack 1. And then he has Necrotic Breath, which is Hazardous, Torrent, and Engulf. That's going to be a Pierce of 2 and Rate of Attack 1. And then one of my favorites to get thrown at me when I play my local player. He always throws the Hex Bolt at me, which is going to be Refined, Shred, and Crit Lethal. That's going to be a range of 9, Pierce of 2, but a Rate of Attack of 3. That's a lot of dice he's throwing at you. Right. So remember we were talking about the Order and one of their weaknesses you know, is, is blast. So that's what the Tenebria shout is shroud is why it's such a good option for him. Right. Because the hex bolt is perhaps his best, but depending on who he he's near. Yeah. You have that option of using a blast. Yeah. You, you have Nura hanging out with her hands units and they're hanging out real close to get the forward echelon blast them. And you're <laughs> hitting them all. Right. Uh, <laughs> Oop, they're too close to that. All shard porter. Boom. <laughs> you know. And uh, also with the shadow portal ability, it gives him the ability to create portals. Right? So yeah. that's another thing. Like if you're not paying attention, that's it. Yeah, you can still use it as a weapon, and it's it's a good weapon. Having displace, if you gotta move someone out of the range of something, right? If they're too close to that all shard portal, yeah. All shard portal. Yeah. Bump him away from that. Pierce the 12 inches, it's a really good option for him, but it allows him to actually do a manipulate portal, which a lot of people also forget. Manipulate portal is create or destroy. Yep, yep. So it works both ways. You don't technically have to, you know, open one. But you could nope. take one away. <laughs> right. And that, it's not, he doesn't have to roll a fight attack or an aim attack. <laughs> no, it's using, what, his mind, which is eight? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's nuts. But so. unfortunately, when you look at all these weapons, we're all looking at things under 12 inches. Which, if right. you're taking the average quickness, you're taking uh, this guy. If he's using his weapons against you, he's within most people's charge distance with yep. one action for a move and one for a charge. So he's, you know, for him to be using these weapons, he's got to be up close to you a little bit. Yeah, so he may have to use that portal or a portal or a hex list to basically get across the board. Right. And, and, and then it goes into some of his special rules because that's where. That's the where risk, he shines. The risk of being out there can can be mitigated. So perhaps one of his most most deadly specials, the Dark Council. Remember we kind of we described what that was earlier. So here's here's basically the in-game effect of the old Dark Council. You may deploy a single hex lift during deployment for each unit with this rule in your force. For one action point, this unit may select a tainted unit, friend, or foe within eight inches. That targeted unit must make a mind check. If the check is passed, nothing happens. If the check fails, a model in that unit or the entire unit, if it's friendly, is compelled and must immediately make an action of this unit's choice. This is a free action, which cannot be focused or use fortune. 
for the duration of this action, the compelled model counts as a friendly unit to this unit. You cannot compel models with the automata, structure, or legendary traits. All right, so he's doing like some of the Jedi mind tricks on people. That's right, man. He's influencing your, your the target, and it's friend or foe. Obviously, friendlies are a little better because you can do the whole unit. Yeah. Uh, say you have a, a, a hands unit that you want to second uh, activation, basically, or a second attack that or help off somebody. Yeah. Just or, reach out or help them move up, maybe as you know, support for him. You know, and it, it's it's really it's really one of his most powerful things. And for one action point, it's. It's a no-brainer. You know, yeah. you, you're definitely going to be doing this, you know, as often as you can. Because who doesn't want to it's, attack it's, someone else? It's really fun to make your opponent's faces turn around and shoot his own guy in the face. <laughs> All right, so what else do we got? We got... Uh, Impervious, which is one of my favorite with him. The unit ignores the fatal quality and negative piercing modifiers when taking grit checks. That's pretty right. wow. That's yeah. We that, talked about his specials yeah. can help offset the fact that he's got his butt in the wind in the <laughs> middle of war. You know, he's, he does have short range abilities, right? They're all under twelve inches, and the twelve inches is out there by itself, really. But his main is eight inches. Yeah. For for his dark council compel to happen, he's got to be within eight. Eight. Is, the shadow portals within twelve. And without Quick and the Dead and only relying on metal, this really works well. But it's also one thing that you don't want to get him out there for a lot of shots because you're looking yeah. at a 50-50. You know, right. if you're going to ping this guy with uh, a couple of hands units, this guy's going to go down um, just by the rules of the dice. Right. But the next ability, whenever this unit successfully destroys an enemy with his leeched ability... This unit may select an attribute from the destroyed unit's card. This selected attribute replaces the same attribute on this unit for the remainder of the game. This unit may only have a single attribute replaced using this rule. If another attribute is later changed using this rule, the previous change is lost. Man. So he yep. can just, he can cherry pick stuff. <laughs> you know? I mean, you if you have him out in the middle, take out something with a higher grit. Or take out something with a higher aim, and you now take that aim 5 up to an aim 8. Yeah. So you really have a lot of great options for what you can do with them. Um, you know, the great one goes well with the Fate Weaver, which is his next ability. Uh, once during their activation, this unit may spend an action point to look at the top card from either their, of their opponent's adventure or action deck, and they may discard that card or return it to the top of the deck. Man. Right there, yep. you can ruin somebody's day. It's the flip side of sh shrewd tech strategist. Uh, strategist. <laughs> it's great. I love it. I, I, I remember reading that rule for the first time. I was like, yes, because I love the card manipulation ability. Yeah. And that's just me, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, especially if you're playing with him and you're playing in a way that you're out activating your opponent. Now I'm going to wait till you, all your activations are done. I'm going to look at your card, and I'm going to know what your initiative draw is going to be. And if I have anything else I can do to manipulate my initiative draw, I can go ahead and do that. You know, because he at, at you know for what his posse brings, you can really fill the board really quickly with a lot of inexpensive, but still deadly units. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll jump on the next one. So we got Node of Power. So this unit regains fortune chips up to its starting value at the start of each resolution phase. Furthermore, this unit may allow a friendly unit within 10 inches to spend fortune chips from this unit as though they were their own. So a lot of uh, a lot of fortune there to be going around there. That's always useful for rerolls and uh, bumping up grit checks. You know, I really love this one because it's a friendly unit. So if you're going to play him back, and I'm going to go ahead and put a big heavy shooting unit right next to him, or if or even another boss, uh, I'm going to set him back, and I'm going to let that that other person go ahead and take from him what they need. Yeah, um, right. So that's great. Um, what this does is is it encourages you to bring another boss or posse, you know, because the note of power is share fortune to friendly instead of posse. Largesse is share your fortune with your posse. Mm-hmm. So when you bring another posse, bosses can't cross posse share. Yeah. But the third man can with note of power. It doesn't matter as long as it's a friendly. So anything you brought, you know, like say you brought, uh, uh, they can buy tell. I'm going to throw a couple at you. If you brought Vorket, who doesn't have a fortune stat, and then now you're using Vorket as the third man's bodyguard. And you're talking about a guy who has, you know, all these fantastic attacks. Um, He would be a great one. Or if you're going to hide in back, put him right next to Locas. Yeah. Let her shoot up that. You know, the oncoming force. And and she's got the range with that double Gatling gun. Right, but those are all, those are faces. Are they, okay, I, I know what you're saying, though, Brian. They could be in your pocket. They yeah. could be in your pocket. So, like, what, what, what you're saying what is a, a boss who really doesn't have a way to get more fortune than what they start with, this is a way to do that. Well, yeah, okay, so say you, you build a posse, you bring in third man and his his posse but now with the new cheaper cost you have an option you're, you're not at a thousand points and you want to bring something else you can bring another posse right yeah and maybe that new that boss was an underboss mm-hmm. and underbosses tend to have only one or two fortune well he now can use through note of power he can use the fortune from the other boss which can't do no one else can do that yeah but if you have two bosses and two posses and you want to use you're out of fortune from the boss of that hands unit because of the note of power because he's a friendly unit he can as long as he's within 10 inches of the third man he can use the other boss's fortune which you can't do but with note of power you can't so yeah. it uh that that is so huge you know is it's like you bring uh any other dual posses with two bosses you have to be able to segregate who's using what fortune you know? yeah 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 and the thing is about what one of the downsides of when you bring up what we can bring is when you look at his theme posse he can't bring their carcosa dark nation or nazambu right so those getting those guys which are historically fortune starved getting them a, a pool to pull off of ah that's fantastic right you have him nearby and they they didn't have access to some you know because you know even if you're pulling you know man just one or two to get vorket going 
And that thing's a beast. <laughs> He's hungry. He is hungry. <laughs> All right. Well, we got one more left there, Brian. So this one, I, I like this one too. Embrace the hex. For one action point, this unit may select a target unit, friend or foe, within eight inches. There's that eight inch again. That target unit must make a mind check. If the check is passed, nothing happens. If the check fails, the selected unit is stunned and gains the tainted trait. Hmm. So that's a way to taint somebody and give them a shot of when they go down, coming back. Right. Well, yeah, you're throwing stun on them, so it's already going to be easier to, to do that yeah. in the next next go. But then you're, you're creating the off chance of then having that that effective unit return as a taint tainted uh, hex beast. And it and gives you the ability almost, I mean, it's a rare chance, but if they crit fail, that save gives you that, that hex beast. Yep. Yep. But it also gives the ability to dark counsel them. So if you have an opponent who doesn't have that tainted rule, you now bring your own ability to take over their models. And what That's a big right. insult to the order than to say, Hey, you're Corcorelli, which this would be very difficult I'm going to go ahead and, you know, taint them and then dark counsel them against you. <laughs> right. Because you can't, they can't use the compel in dark counsel oh, against man. non-tainted units. So it gives them the ability to, you know, to correct the problem <laughs> when they're fighting a, a non-tainted posse, right? Because, like, I usually play non-tainted posse. My lawman posse, I don't bring... You know, I'm not bringing Virgil, so they're no. pretty much none of them are tainted. Well, the Hex has a way of around that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're not looking at bringing in another model. We're looking at a, a, a solid model that has a good fortune base that you can buy those extra abilities. Um, if he stands still, you're looking at one embrace a Hex, two Dark Council, and you still have that third, you know, limit to move away or do whatever you need to. Uh, well, you have to remember, limit is for actions, and some of these special abilities aren't aren't actions. Yeah, they're like they're powers, powers, powers that had cost a fortune or limit. something. Yeah, and they don't count towards the limit. So that's one of the things that make people don't realize is you know some of these things that he's being able to do don't count towards his limit. So you're, what we're saying is we, we embrace the hex. We're spending an action point, but we're not used. We're not going against his limit. That's right. It's not an action. So, you, so like say, like portal mastery, it's telling you you're taking a portal astri- mastery or portal manipulation action. It's an actual action, so it counts toward the limit. But portal mastery says it's going to be free. Yeah, so it doesn't it doesn't cost you action points, but that is an actual action that's being taken. So it does count towards your limit. But when you hey during the act once during the activation, spend an action point to look at the top card, that that's not an action. That is a special ability and it can happen regardless of how many limits you've already used, right? So he can already have moved and he can already have shot. If he still has action points, he can fate weave. He can do dark council. I mean, that's why he's so good. Is so he, if you could, so the people who want to reach into their iPad or whatever they're listening to this on, before they hit back 15 seconds, 
can we go ahead and repeat that one more time to ask why he's so good and why you're not, you know, hurting his limit is because all these things aren't going against his limit. Even though you're spending the action points, we are not touching his limit. So right. We are spending action points and we can still take our shots. We can still move. That's right. The key words mean things, right? So it has to be, you have to be taking an action. So we, we know what the actions are. Some of the abilities, their abilities, they, they don't count towards your limit because they're not actions, right? Yeah. And the limit is about actions. Just because you're spending an action point doesn't mean it's an actual action. Otherwise, following you, couldn't, along. you couldn't dash. <laughs> can I right? can I just make some X's for the hex? Yeah. <laughs> just that good. Yeah. And what's what's bad is when someone doesn't know him. Yeah. Right? He can really blindside so a posse with all these not know what he can do. Yeah. Because there's so many special abilities here. And, and and really, the biggest problem with the third man is the the lack of resources to do all of it. Yeah, yeah. But you won't have enough. You just you just won't. So yeah, that's definitely something to think about when you're posse building with him is to try and build in models that will help him towards those resources. Right. So you know the four fortune is great, but it's important to pay attention to when he regains his fortune trips. Definitely, if you are lucky enough to get the adventure card with the, the cog. Yeah, the uh, refresh. Makes him be able to do multiple of his abilities. Because it's almost impossible. Think about it. You you draw a three card. A three action card. Yeah. It's going to go quick. You know, you're not going to be able to trigger all those abilities, no. right? The five, hey, much better situation. You know, Now you can burn your, your fortune to get you a couple more action points. But because it those action points compound, yeah. it'll slow you down, right? So, yes, all those abilities don't count towards your limit, but where are you going to get the fortune? <laughs> yeah, so he's limited that, in that sense. Right. And he doesn't gamble, so he's not going to get an un, uh, <laughs> ability to, hey, this this two is not good enough. I want to try to get another one. <laughs> so that leads to the great question, where are you going to get the extra fortune um and when you look well, at his theme posse he is going to have a lot of great things in there that he's going to be able to bring and the one that we have to look at is you may deploy a single hex lift during deployment for each unit with this rule in your force when you bring in these hex lists they have that ability for you to pull their fortune away from them yep so that that's one of the things where can this posse get more his box set only comes with one hexalith model. So you're going to be forced to create a bunch more because just bringing his posse box alone, you're going to be able to throw down five. Yeah. So that's five fortune right there. And they're sitting right. out there ready for you to pick. So going into what his posse is, is we're looking, um, again, I talked about this earlier. You know, if he fills it out, any unit in this posse gains a shrouded rule while they are within six inches of a hexalith. This posse may not include the Carcosa, Dark Nation, or Nazambu traits, and the third man is only the boss. And we're looking at, first lot, we're looking at Megan Wild and up to two hex hand hands units. 
So we're getting those hands units right away, which is great for where we are right now with this game, is getting those hands out quick and early. Uh, second one, hex hand unit and or non-vehicle hex support unit. Third, a unit with a dark council skill or a hex hands unit. A lot of hand units. Yeah. Number four, a unit with a dark council skill and or a hex hand unit. Again, that and or is great because now we're adding more hex lists, we're adding more activations, and we're letting this guy wait to the end for him to do his manipulation. Number five, a hex face unit and or a non-vehicle hex support unit. And number six, up to two hex hand units and or hex support units. Man. So every single right. slot was an and or. Right, and hex hands in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I think slot five is the only one where it doesn't allow you to bring in hex hands. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you see hex hands, that doesn't just mean the, the hex beasts. It means, you know, the hex versions of the bandits and hex versions of Union troops. And yeah. So... Those tainted Any of guys y'all have more than one faction. You know that's where you're going to get some of those models. But it's definitely, hey, these are the fallen soldiers from somewhere else, and now they're fighting for the third man. So, uh, you know, I have some hands. Yeah, <laughs> you need them. <laughs> and that's a fun part when you get to modeling is you can say, okay, I can grab one of the old outlaw hand boxes, and I can then make them my own hex version. Yeah. And yeah. Especially if you grab the hex gunman, you're looking at a, a unit of three to ten for twenty-five. You know, per models, we're looking at seventy-five points per unit, um, and we're we're getting we're mass fire, mass melee with you know great ranged weapons. You're going to be able to out out activate your opponent and have a lot of good board control. Yeah, that's. It, that's when you start playing that numbers game. You're going to be throwing a lot of dice out there, and then with all those different abilities and manipulating, mm, it's going to be frustrating. <laughs> but it's also well, going to be frustrating that it may be overwhelming to play this posse because of all those special abilities. But, man, is that going to be fun? Oh, yeah, and then, you know, it's just, to me... I, I love the idea of him having everything shrouded, everything in place, and then everybody making those jumps through those hexaliths. Um, yeah. My local player, he he plays this and he plays it fantastic. And when I when I think of him, I cringe. I absolutely cringe because <laughs> there are things in this be, that you're like, okay, I'm going to ignore this one thing, but you have creature um, which comes with it, and his whole thing is. I'm going to, you know, within four inches of the boss. He's there to stay near the boss. And then, of course, uh, he can swallow something whole. Yeah. So the, the whole posse has such great character, and you can add more as you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, small base initial targets, special heavy, and then I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to eat you. So. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, this is a, a posse box I got still sitting in the basement on the, the project shelf. It's one of those ones that's like, man, I just, I want to get to it and, and just, just make somebody cry. <laughs> Cause it, I, I can only imagine this being just very, 
tough to play with. I mean, they have the advantage of kind of like very similar to Warrior Nation. They're starting with their portals already on the board. They don't have to make any kind of checks to create them. Granted, he can. He can make even more kind of a, a way to jump around the board. But just starting with those hexalists already on the board is such a big advantage. Right. Uh, and that's one of the things that changed in 1.09 is under the, under the last version, the any portals created by, you know, third man or who's the, who's the, is Megan Wild the portal yeah. master Megan in the group? Yeah. Has yeah, too. They were other hexalists. Yeah. That was so gross. So now when they're creating portals, it'll just be regular portals, which yeah. have the portal resonance rule. So definitely going to have tons of portals on the board. So, I mean, and, if you're facing these guys, go after those hexaliths because that is what's going to cripple them. them. Out, yeah. yeah. When they're losing that freebie fortune that's sitting there, that's that's eventually going to slow them down. Right. And and if you want to use their portals, you're going to want to have fewer on the board. Yeah. Well, I think that about covers both of our uh, our epic warriors here, Nura and the third man. So what's the consensus here? Who do you guys think is going to win the, the duel out in the street? I mean, I'm going to do what we did last time. I'm going to put up a poll and see what the voting is. Um, I think as of uh, with our last one, the last check, it, I, I think you looked, Benji, and it was Wyatt that was winning it. So maybe this time the uh, darker side might get some love when I do the poll. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, well, as of right now. Brian's shaking his head right now, so I think I know where he's leaning. <laughs> yeah, as of recording, we got Wyatt ahead by 56 to 44, so Wyatt's getting ahead. But I, I'm going to tell you, uh, third man third man scares me. Uh, when I line up against third man, he is a he's a force to be reckoned with. And then just him by himself, he's a force. Then you throw in his posse and all the things he can do. Uh, and what they can do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, across the board, this is a, this is a great you know boss, and I, I, my vote is for third man in this situation. Right. It it really just depends on you know head to head, model to model. I I I think he he would beat Nora. I mean, but depending on the groups yeah. that you bring, what kind of support actually, they I get. I mean the first half. <laughs> Her staff is just good, and he's got no options for me. Man, I thought so I had him. I thought I had there, Brian on the dark side. She gets in there. If she gets in there head to head, she'll take him out. <laughs> the, dip, the problem is, it's the posse. So if 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 they know what they're doing with him and they build the right posse, hands down, will beat the order portal vanguard. But it's going to take the skill, right? Yeah. So, yeah, this is a very rough every time guy to run. The third third man posse goes up against anything else. They rise and fall based on how well they play third man. Yeah. yeah and that's the key. Nura has a little more cheat room depending on what she brings, right? Yeah. If she teams up with some Kokoroli, she goes spike heavy, uh, that's going to be tough, you know? So I think this is one of the I think one of our our smoke wagon showdowns that literally could go either way because these they're 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 really good yeah uh, and it's all about what they bring yeah yeah and I like you said the more that you play with the individual bosses and the skill level of the player and their list building could really determine it 
So, yeah. well, yeah, this might be one that we're kind of split. I mean, aesthetically, I'm going to pick Third Man just because I like all the dark, creepy guys. Um, <laughs> but, you know, after after going over Nura, I mean, a lot of her abilities are a little more straightforward in how they work. And so because of that complexity, she might be easier to run, so she is going to, you know, end up taking it a lot more, like you said, Brian. But we'll have to... We'll have to see what the community says. We'll put up a poll after we put this out. And I agree with Benji. Anytime you face off with the absolute power posse, you better go in fearful because it's going to be rough. Yeah. If they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's you gotta you gotta look at how to slow them down. And if if you ignore that, they're gonna run all over you. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he is a great support boss too because. You know, if I can bring him in a spot where people can just leech off of him, that's that might be well enough there. But to think about bringing him outside of his posse, oh, that's almost a waste with how good that posse is. Yeah. I mean, the, what you need to do with him to to beat his posse is to take him out. <laughs> and that's don't, tough. If you're the order, you don't want – if you're playing third man and you're fighting the order, keep him away from any of the hexalists. <laughs> don't, you don't want him near them because the Kokoroli all have eight minds. So they're jumping through the enemy portal, right? Yeah. Because they can, they can go in Nura's portal and they can come out an enemy portal. Yeah, their mind is so high that it's going to be easy to pass that check. Yeah. So, boom, you're going to have a melee beast like freaking Zane or, God forbid, one of the chain dudes. And they're in your face. He's got no melee weapon, so all he's going to have is the basic melee attack. Yeah. Or he's running, but he does not have evasion, so he's going to get that sneak attack. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's going to have problems. So you see what I'm saying? It's, you want to hit him melee, and you want to hit him hard. Yeah, fast and, fast and hard. Teamwork, two, two guys, three guys, you know, you take him out, then the you know, a lot of what they're going to be able to do is going to go down. Tough nut to crack. Yep, yep. And uh, so we'll go ahead and post a poll up for you guys. Uh, probably shortly after we get this out in the in the in the world on the interwebs and whatnot, and we'll see what you guys have to say. And um, go ahead and make comments on that post on the poll, and you know, maybe give some kind of tips or like reasoning why you would go one way or the other and as we said before if you guys have any ideas for any other smoke wagon showdown pair-offs between some epic bosses out in the street go ahead and send us an email and we'll add them to the list we may have them on the list already i think brian mentioned that last episode and maybe it'll bump them up we'll go ahead and move out of the smoke wagon showdown and i like i said i think the consensus is kind of this is almost a tie so uh we're we're kind of split on this one. We I'm kind of go both ways. Brian, you're more leaning towards the order, and Benji, you kind of like the third man in this. We'll see what the community has to say, and we'll get out of this segment. All right, guys, real quick before we get too far in the show, a newer segment we kind of wanted to touch on a little bit is some of the backstory and fluff 
in the world of Wild West Exodus, dystopian wars. And one of the points of having Benji on here is that he wrote a story for the show as part of a contest. It's something that we're going to try and squeeze in at the, the end of the episode. So you guys, when you get to the end of the show, make sure you keep listening because it'll be in there. But anyway, talking about fluff, a lot of times we see on the on the Facebook group and stuff, people are asking, you know, a little bit about background on these characters or different parts of the world. And we kind of want to real quick just touch in on some of the places that you guys can find this stuff at. So probably I would say, Brian, Benji, one of the first places people can look at is uh, the rule books, right? I mean, there's lots, there's there's some stories in there. There's uh, some of the background stuff of the different factions in there. So I, I think that's one place I would tell people to go look at for some of the, the you know, the deep world that War Cradle has created. Yeah, when you go on the website, too, it's really nice because they have it say, uh, read more about this. And that's right there by the unit cards is read more about this faction. And with the latest up, rule update of 1.09, there's more in that area back there. There's more in the fluffs area for you, people to read and kind of enjoy little snippets that's like um you know people are looking to see okay well they've mentioned some people like uh, i want to say the golden child you know that they've mentioned in the fluff and it's like well where is this and there's little to me there's little hidden gems yeah. i'm not going to really you know reveal all the hidden gems to you guys today but there's definitely great reading back there when you go to the, the most up-to-date like, kind of like a treasure hunt right. so uh, really i mean it's right there so one of the neatest parts and we've actually read some of the 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 new purchase fluff that Warcrate started doing. So within the last year, every new model posse box or, you know, support piece that, that they've released, uh, when they put it into the store, it has a, at least like a small paragraph up to like four or five paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, they can get extensive. Describing the model's background in there. And it's like, I know when we talk about the bloody Espinosa and infernal investigations and various others, I actually was excited and read that stuff in the podcast because it was so cool because the, uh, they were, they were like Benji said, they were putting little kinds of character of the, the model. Maybe there's some personality stuff that you pick up and reading in there, some dark secrets of who knows who and maybe who they're allied with. And it was just kind of a neat little thing. I mean, that new X model that just went out in pre-order, oh, what's her name? Titus? Tatuba? Tatuba. That's right. And it, it just I probably said it wrong. Ground, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're bad. That's what we needed you, Vinny, I, is you're supposed to help us with the pronunciation. Can I just say <laughs> Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> yeah, beauty and the not so beauty. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it was kind of details like how you know the these two became a singular unit, right? And you know they what just with the newest pre-orders that went up with uh, I mean, Bullface. There are tons of neat little bits about the characters in the posse box, but also they're affiliated with the the global entity of the enlightened which is kind of neat. It, it gives you more hunger for more information. Right? Yeah. You read it and go, what? Who's who's this Cassius guy? Well, I don't know. But whoever he is, he beat the heck out of a big giant snake and 
caused, you know, a rebirth of this snake, and now it's just this badass Gopi dude. Yeah, that yeah. Make, don't go near it. Makes you want to read more and find out more. Right. So, well, I mean, that's the first step. Yeah, Alcon had a great shot down, and he was held in a, in a Union fort, and how he had to get rescued, and then he, you know, how his daughters came to be. The whole Death from Above posse really just ties together. Now we're waiting on that uh, as a cloud runner. We're waiting on the next model. Right. Working on the person who saved him, and also the question: Well, what what about the union? What, what's the union going to do now that they know that the warrior nation has the flying the flying posse? Yep. So right. that's always I think. Yeah. So the easiest is dive into the store and read the fluff on the models you're about to yeah. buy. Yeah. Right? The the rule book obviously has way more pages on fluff than it does rules. That's always been the case with Wild Exodus, even rule book the, the the fluff changed so those of us who came over from the outlaw switch to war cradle we've got the dark council book right so if you have a dark council book and you've read it from stem to stern uh oh and those were uh dystopian <laughs> war terms uh, but so if you've read the cover cover to cover the the neat thing in this the dark council edition was in each section of the fluff for each of the factions, there are small stories, and it it it's not in the other versions of the rulebook. Yeah. So it's very unique to those who, who participated in uh, the beta. They all, you know, if you took a picture of your old rulebook, you got sent this version of the book. You know, Sarah Cockwell, she's got some short stories in here. Lee, uh, Lee War Cradle, but. He's got a last name that they they cite him in these short stories he wrote. So he wrote some, you know, some really kind of neat neat short stories that are unique to just this Dark Council edition of the rulebook. And then when Dystopian Age birthed, we rulebook and the fluff changed again. Yeah. Yep. Right? So the fluff in the newest rulebook that you can buy now it even changed again. And the fluff became more global, right? So some of the faction write-ups actually became almost <laughs> like <laughs> my dog this time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm leaving that, Brian. <laughs> You're leaving I'm it leaving in. it in. <laughs> They'll give Parker a good laugh. <laughs> So one of the neatest parts is some of the faction write-ups changed instead of just being, hey, we're just going to tell you what the factions are. The whole prose was changed to, like, I know one of the factions, it's literally a, basically like a, a spy's, like, notes. Yeah, sending that's, back a that's right. To his country saying, hey, this is what I know about the Warrior Nation. It's weirder than we thought, yeah. right? And so he's detailing all this stuff that he's in the in the West researching the strange tales of, you know, these natives in America that have that have changed. Right. So it, it they became even more fluff. Right. Yeah. There's one way you can say, oh, this is what the faction is. These are the important people. But then there's another way of saying, hey, um, I'm on this mission. I'm, it's dangerous, blah, blah, blah. I've met with these people. I mean, it's a little it just takes a different narrative tone to the whole fluff more interesting yeah. right 
and then the, you're getting some snippets of these factions you don't even know about, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute. Who are these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And so it kind of teases you, makes you want to search even more. And it's ingenious because countless people playing World of Six is now reading that. They're like, oh, you wouldn't a guy. These guys, the Imperium, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so now they're going to start looking into, you know, the other aspects of the, the entire world. Uh, and I think, Benji, you had mentioned that earlier when we first started, that the globalness of what Wallace S's fluff is now, meaning more, uh, just more. Yeah, and that's one of the forces I'm working on that uh, I'm probably going to be bringing out to Adepticon is a Confederate force who, instead of, you know, being down south, they decided, hey, we're going to go up north. And we may or may not be working with another global entity to keep tabs on the Union and the northern part of the of the Union. And you can think that, well, we can do the same thing in the South. We have a whole world of intrigue, and, you know, no one wants to say, hey, we're going to declare war on you, but we're going to have people working for us to keep an eye on your Union because we're really concerned about how you're growing and how you're developing. So um, I, I love that. And then, you know, we also look at the areas that we don't know much about. Like, man, I'm really intrigued by Louisiana. Personally, I'm intrigued by it because that's where I was born and raised. But there's so many parts of this world that are, it's it's almost like there's still a cloud. Story hasn't been told. Yeah, yet. and we've gotten and that's something that's really dropped. And we've just gotten little hints. Uh, those, like you said, Brian, some of those those very unique short stories that are in the newer rule book, where it's it it's presented in the form of like this guy writing notes to his boss, or you know, they're very different ways of storytelling. Right with hints of all these little uh, just intriguing characters or parts of the world that it's like it, it makes you question, well, what's that? What's that? And then so, you know, you want to go and start looking at more of these places. Bring up another place right. that like the, you guys can go look at is in the blog section. There's tons yes. of short stories yes. there. Yeah, the vignettes, very good. I, I think, what number are we at? I think 13? I, I think so, yeah. And, you know, they're all really neat. And a lot of them are kind of like intros to the characters, you know, whether they be that they're inter introducing us. Yeah. To. Whether they're like newer characters that War Cradle's introducing to us, like um, Nakano, or it may be a character that has been around for a while, like Doc Holliday. But it's just, it's like a little peek into his character and what he's about and his place in the world of Wild West Exodus. Yeah. So yeah, you guys go check out the blog section. I think there's there's been a couple of of uh, Doc Holiday uh, <laughs> short stories. Uh, so no, actually, I'm way off the number. There's twenty vignettes. There's twenty by now. Okay. Yeah, August thirteenth, we got vignette number twenty. Hero. Okay. Is the title of that one. And these are coming from all, which one that one was? all kinds of different authors that are doing these. It's you know that are working with War Cradle to kind of world build more or less. Right. Well, it's basically a way of enlivening these little plastic miniatures, yeah. right? I mean, you're breathing life into which can very be a stale, you know, war game, but this game is so narrative and then we get these little snippets of personality that the, you know, the company is breathing into some of these models. It it, it really just makes everything a little more lively. Yeah. I'm still waiting for my so, Creation uh, 7 one. So, one of the other ways <laughs> Right. Keep waiting. Uh, All right. <laughs> Eric, just write it. Just write, write it? it? Okay. Write it and submit it. 
I'm going to name them Bob. That's right. That's right. That's one thing. Bob and Joe. That uh, Stuart's always said, you know, you burgeoning authors, write up your stories, send it in a work cradle. If they like, if, if they like them, they, they, they put them on the blog. Yeah. I mean, there's some community members with their stories uh, on the blog, you know, and there's nothing wrong with the community sharing stories. And that's why we did the contest is it's not just because, you know, we needed an idea for a show. We really want more stories just for me, <laughs> you know, uh, that's why we can't thank Benji enough for, you know, putting together such a really fun and entertaining story that you all are going to get to hear in an even funnier, I mean, fun uh, format. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I, I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, and with as busy as work rate is, makes me wonder how do they even have time for all this? Man, it's been uh, nothing but you know, great releases, and, and uh, you know, still, if if you want to, I mean, write your own story, and that's I love that about this game is you can write your own story how you want it and just enjoy the aspect of the game. Right. So, in the last bit of fluff that we can talk about is the the seven novels that Outlaw Miniatures wrote. So. War Cradle's already said these these books are not considered canon, and and the main reason for that is things that happen in the book in these books may or may not be the honest recollection of what happened. One because the world has changed, right? With dystopian age, the world has changed a little bit, and it's not as if they flipped a switch and it changed. The world has always been different than the world we played in first edition. So these books detail things that happened in first edition, but you know, well, like, War Cradle and Stuart specifically. I like how you said, Brian. They're they, basically they're tall tales, right? So they they don't want to discredit these as being good sources of fluff, right? If you read these novels and get energized and and want to play your your models, they don't want to undercut that. So what they've done is they've termed these as time novels, right? Yeah. And if anyone knows from history, during the era of the Wild West, the stories were coming up, and they were basically all based on true incidents. Yeah. But then the story that everyone was reading in the papers or in the dime novels, it was just over-exaggerated, and so you never really knew what was truthful or exaggerated. Yeah. So these stories are someone's recollection of what happened, but they're not necessarily the accurate account of what happened. They're fun reads. There's the Jesse James Archives, which is the three book. It was the first three books. The first one was uh, first and third of the series is by Greg Gallant. He helped write the original rule book, Fluff. He, these were his first novels, and they were really good. The first one, people say, has some grammar issues that kind of slow you down a little bit reading it. But some of us would have who have a, um, a, a smaller grasp with the English language, they had no problem reading it. Uh, <laughs> People like Tom, who uh, I guess have a, a much more refined uh, <laughs> grasp of the English language, <laughs> struggle through it. But the the story is what is really good in this that trilogy. I recommend anyone who wants to see a version of the interaction between Jesse James and Dark Carpathian, uh, Billy the Kid, various other throughout the three books. Various other characters are in there, including Holiday Morgan or Virgil or I mean, long list of characters in those three books. Probably one of my favorite that comes from that book where they have Wyatt and the way he talks to his deputies and the UR30 bots and how he just 
is trying to figure out how he can make this work with pretty much what he thinks are idiots all around him. And he thinks those UR-30 bots are spying on him. <laughs> and how the other character is really just, you're like, you're, you're with him. You're like, man, the law is dumb. Like, there's some dumb cops here, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's it, there's a scene. And Brian's laughing because he knows the scene I'm talking about. It's fantastically written. It's a great scene. Oh, no, really good. And I, I literally read those three books when I when I was reading them. I couldn't wait to get back to Wyatt and the Lawman because of how fun those sections yeah. were. You know, getting any snippets we could of the interaction between Morgan Earp, which the way he's written in that is extremely, like, horrific. And then you're like, so you wait and you wait and it, Obviously, the book focuses on Jesse James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Billy Kidd was a whiner. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of Billy the Kid whining. <laughs> so the, the next book after that uh, was The Contract to Die For. So it was a Wayward Eight book, and it was written by Robert E. Waters. It is a really, really kind of neat book. Is basically an outlaw mercenary book. So it centers around... The Wayward Eight being hired to do a mission, but there are other outlaws or mercenaries that are one in on it, right? They went in on the action, and one of the neat parts is two of those mercenaries were back or created. Care, the Wraith, and Sasha Tanner are in the book, and so it's really kind of neat to see you know those two characters come to life based off of a community member. So that is really kind of a neat book. And uh, another thing that pulled me from that one is the, uh, if, I don't know if you remember this, the Wayward Eight is traveling down south, and they come across the Union camp. And in the Union camp itself is Tesla working on his weaponry. And they go through this whole scene of talking about his Tesla coils and how he's using this. And, like, I think it was Jake, and Jake was just dumbfounded by this new technology that they're seeing as they drive by. How they want to fight the Union, but, at you know, you know, as a wayward eight would, but they have to know we have to focus on the mission. And they even get right. visited by a special person, you know, which really kind of kicks off the whole story. And I don't want to spoil it if you want to read it because it's a, it's a, a season. It's a season of a show. It really sits down like that. If you were to watch one season of a, of a wayward eight TV show, it would be that book. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, I, again, I mean, I, I recommend all of these books. The next book I'm going to recommend is Bastion. So this is probably the most odd book as far as um, how it meshes with, you know, the, the dystopian age, because this book centers around someone who's being recruited to train as a spica in the order. So if you want a of the order to percolate in your head, this book is really, is kind of a neat book. I mean, Benji, right? I mean, there's just so much, it's trying to get you behind the tree of the order, but not revealing the mystery. <laughs> I mean, basically how that book is, and, and it, it's it's kind of neat. So if you like the order, definitely check it out. But again, it's got that caveat as if it's it's a, a version of uh, the world. So okay, so the book after that is different. It's an anthology book, so it's short stories, and they did a contest, and Robert Gunter won the contest, and he wrote a short story based on the character he created in the first Kickstarter, which was the Wraith. And the short story is actually pretty good. As some of y'all know, that was the 
the teaser of trying to give myself, Tom, and Eric our positions in the bar during the short story contest. Robert put the bartender's name in his short story is uh, Brian Powell. He he asked me before he did it, uh, and I said, "Sure, go ahead." So that that's the the snippet. You know, that was a tease is, hey, do your research. You might be able to figure out which position I should be. Uh, <laughs> in the, in the, very, very few people probably saw that. But there's some really neat short stories in here. I think my favorite was the uh, the Secret Service one because it, it goes through like an agent. So he's a rookie agent with the Secret Service and has a little mystery to it. And it's, it's just a good read. All right. So the bloodiest night or what they call the family blood book was the last book. also written by Greg Lyon. I really enjoyed the book, but don't be attached. <laughs> like you said, that was the game of Thrones book. This is the game of Thrones book of the series. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's neat. Cause so it, it centers mainly around the enlightened. So, you know, you get to see quite a bit of backstory on Dr. Pathian Cam, who at the time when this book was coming out was a new model. So it, it's kind of neat. You get to see some of that. There's also surprisingly a really good bit of the start of Walks Looking's Fall to the Dark Side. Okay. About good read. Again, the goal for War Cradle is probably to adapt some of the stories into the new dystopian age. Uh, so we hope to see more novels. I know they're working on them. It'll be fun to see where the novels end up going as the dystopian age keeps developing. Yeah. I like how he said he knows they're working on it. Like, are you a member of the Infernal Affairs? <laughs> are you an eye on the work radio? <laughs> okay. No, there. I mean, I, I guess you could say I'm part of the Infernal Investigations just because you know, I, did, I did help. Uh, is the benefit of that, but uh, <laughs> uh, so one of the things War Cradle has always done since they took over is that they have always wanted a, a really open discussion with community members. Some of us have a more, I guess, inside contact. I, I'm not really going to say I'm I'm a solo in that. There are other people who have access to various members of War Cradle, but I have been lucky enough to have. A, good, a pretty good relationship with Stuart and obviously worked with Daz at uh, AdeptCon for War Cradle. And they're a bunch of great guys. I don't get as much info as I would hope to get because, I mean, obviously I like the surprise of finding these new nuggets uh, just like everyone else. Like, Eric, we're all in agreement that the Soul Hunters release this month is completely is out there. We had no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, I, I saw the spoiler and was like, what? <laughs> uh, we knew it was in development. But I had no idea it was this close. But uh, so seeing that spoiler, I knew what it was. It was this soon. I like that too. So yeah, I do see some stuff, but I also uh, everything. So. I get, to, <laughs> I get to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, but if you, you know, it also brings up if you guys are really interested in you know getting more involved with War Cradle, um, whether it be through working at your own store. All three of us are, are war hosts, and uh, uh, it's a great program. And you know, you guys, if you're more if you're intrigued, you know, go ahead and reach out and find out more about the program. I, I've really been happy with everything I've done with that program. It's been a fantastic program. 
Oh yeah, war hosting is is awesome. If 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 you like if you if you like the games that War Cradle is developing, jump in. The what they they hope is that we're all, all the war hosts are we're not like segregated by games. So they hope that we'll we'll be able to be an avenue for our communities into all the games that they develop. But if you like any of the games, being a war host, you have lots of resources to be able to use for your community. So yeah, it definitely is a good program, and it gives you access to the three of us, but then all the other war hosts. Uh, we have our own Facebook group, so we share information, we encourage each other, and that is amazing. So encourage you if you have any interest into bringing war cradle properties out to your neighborhoods, jump into the host because uh, we'd love to have you. And I will say this, Brian, um, when we do meet at Depticon this year, uh, this dirty old sailor <laughs> is probably going to think your battleship. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Why don't we go ahead and wrap up our little chat about fluff and stories and uh, encourage all you guys out there that play the game or are excited about the game and want to find out more information to check out the rule book, check out, you know, on the model pages to read about the specific models. You may end up buying them because uh, they're so cool. The blog section and like Brian went through all the, the old outlaw books. They're, they're tall tales, but they're still very entertaining and, and fun reads. So make sure you guys go check all that stuff out. And Before we head out, we're going to start a new segment uh, in future episodes. We're going to call it the Black Hoof Saloon Dime Novels series. And tell us what fluff you want us to, to dive into, right? Do you guys want a summary of different faction fluffs or stuff like that? Go ahead and make suggestions, and we'll start plugging those in there. We'll, we'll do a, a, a more of an in-depth dive into some of the different fluff ad, fluff that's out. Yeah, yeah, kind of dissect some of it. All right, we'll go ahead and get out of here with this, and we'll wrap up the show in a minute here. All right, guys, we uh, we went pretty long today's episode, and uh, like we mentioned earlier, at the end of the show, if you guys keep listening through the end of the credits, uh, a big part of having Benji on the show today is we're going to use it as a segue to actually put in his his story into an audio format so you guys can actually hear the story that he entered in our contest episodes ago, and um, you guys can hear what kind of cool stuff we do with it but uh before we got out of here we had some news of new releases to go over real quick uh this month we got some not as many as we've seen in the past but we got some really cool pre-orders for the month of let's see october these are going to come out so these are the october pre-orders just in time for Halloween and all the spookiness, all the creepy critters that I like, Brian. So the first one, we had a, a new legendary model coming out that's a another big giant snake. That's right. So those of you who've been watching the uh, the card pages for the Enlightened or the Hex, either one, right? You've probably seen this creation that showed up, right? But he got a name. Name is Opie. Now, who would name a giant snake this been this 
this gross, Opie. Andy. Um, so, <laughs> since it's a fluff episode, I'm going to read the fluff from the card. Uh, oh, look at that. So look at that. When Marie Laveau first brought her beloved Titan Boa, Opie, to the flesh after Avesta Byron, the aim was to save the creature's life. Having been mortally wounded in a clash with Dylan Callis, this rare creature now lay dying on Byron's surgical table. Such an unusual biology caused Byron to relish the task ahead of her. She labored long into the night, pausing mid-procedure only to replace one of her own hands when the confused and poorly sedated serpent lashed out and severed it. As the surgery entered its second evening, Byron was not only would creation eight live, that the improvements made would substantially increase the creature's strength, speed, and resilience. At first, Laveau was apprehensive that the pet had endured, but seeing that the serpent's ferocity and newfound lethality was switched off in favor of Opie's familiar submission and tenderness when by her side, Laveau soon prized him above all her other servants. Grateful for Byron's efforts, Laveau permitted the Countess to replicate the process on future Titan Boas she procured and divided those profits equally. Regrettably, as is often the case, hearing the prototype differs greatly from the final product. In the case of Creation 8, the exact process could not be replicated as successfully in later versions, partly because of the cost and complexity, but also because none of the future specimens delivered to Byron was ever as intelligent or massive as Opie. He remains the first and greatest of his kind. And his mistress' command, Opie unleashed against her enemies, entertain Bambu Queen as she listens to the victim's bones crunching as they are slowly crushed and digested within the Titan. A lot of character added to that snake. Dude, the, 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 the model is viciously gross. Yeah. So he's already in the store with painted cells of literally everything. Yeah, I hope that's... I hope, I hope it's signs of more stuff to support Marie Laveau and building out a posse for her. You know, I mean, they, they've been releasing the, the Bayou terrain. So, and then we get to see the, him come out. So, yeah, we can hope for some more for, for her. Cause I know there's a lot of, uh, right. hex players that want to build on to her posse. And it's just, it's, it's tough right now. It's really tough. So, uh, he will definitely help with that. All right, and we have another one, and this one I saved for last for the pre-releases because this is kind of a special one. This is actually, it's it's a posse for Wild West Exodus, but it's also something for Lost World Exodus coming out. So this is the first detachment that we're going to see for Lost World Exodus? Yeah, so it's the first Lost World Exodus detachment set. So it's a, it's six models. For, for the Enlightened, which is a global faction for the dystopian war. Yeah. World and this was teased so, a long it, time ago, I think. It was. So this was teased, uh, I want to say it was teased first edition, wasn't it? <sighs> I think or shortly after the season? Shortly after it. I know I remember at Gen Con they, they were kind of teasing it. Um one of their first Gen Cons, I think they were teasing it along with like um, that's right, so, Celestials. Or Cradle teased it, and it was part of their. When I mentioned it earlier in this episode, the Dark Council had faction write-ups for the Crown and the Celestials. So at that time, 
they were introducing several of these, you know, global aspects to the Wild West Exodus. Yeah. But it was before they picked up the dystopian licenses. So things changed. So this is the sets that they teasered for Wild West Exodus. But then when the Lost World Exodus became a thing, this posse makes so much more sense for something for that that aspect of the world. So it became the first released detachment unit. Yeah. And detachment basically is the same thing as Wild West Exodus posses. The difference is they are going to act more as military-esque in Lost World Exodus than they would as a normal posse would in Wild West Exodus. So we haven't seen all the details of how those interactions are going to change, but something to look forward to in future episodes. Yeah. So the Soul Hunt, obviously when you start looking in into the store, the pictures are already there and you're going to see, you're going to see that the rent's too high politician from New York, but he is the boss of this posse. His name is Warwick Hudson. He is, he leads the scientific band that investigates the spiritual changes in the world. So these guys are focused on spirit esque supernatural investigations and you know another word for spirits would be what benji what what else do we call spirits oh, well you can call them a lot of things you call them hex you can call them uh corcorali i mean i like think today when we talk about spirits what do we say who are you gonna Supernatural? call <laughs> yeah some would say we bust them <laughs> i see what you got there but what's really cool about him is when you look at his card is up on the unit cards is he's a boss and a commander. Yep. So right. we're starting to see those new terms come out and uh, his posses or his detachments filled with specialists, which uh, look at them all. And they're all up there on the on the unit card site. You can go ahead and pull up and there's some great looking cards there. And we're going to be interesting to see how some of these keywords that are in both sides, how they're going to play with each other. Because all of this, this posse has the agent keyword. Yeah. And if you are following along with Abraham Lincoln, one of his posse slots is an agent. doesn't have yep. to be a union agent. It's just an agent. So it will be interesting to see when these guys are released, how do they play with the rest of the world or what's right. the rest of the world's exodus. Right. I, I think it, I, I think Catherine Holst is going to join a lot of my uh, six slots. You know, she she brings a really good package of, of things. You know, each one of them has their own little niche and in the tactics. But, yeah, definitely dive into those cards because you're going to see how well these guys are going to affect the game for you. So head on over. They also have one of the longest, yeah. uh, you know, fluff ads in, in the store. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five five six six paragraphs i'm yeah. not going to read today to yeah. you, so they basically yeah, you broke down at your own leisure they broke down each character in that in that set so oh really dive in some really good info in there and also teases a few names that are in the world so yeah another good fluff right up new box so you know yes these guys have proton packs on their back uh one guy is even holding the little sensor reader from from uh, a certain movie that these are teasering or teasing but yeah the soul soul hunters detachment it's a lost world exodus and wild west exodus option for the enlightened 
Yeah, I'm excited about that one. These these models look like they'll be fun to paint. Yeah, it also makes it exciting that there's someone in this attachment named uh, Jacosta. Had a replacement, someone named Jacosta. So yeah, hmm. hopefully you know people will get can be able to keep those separate. Like, <laughs> wait, which one? So right, yeah, Is it the flying one or the one with the energy rifle. Uh, <laughs> some also to note that if you're going to be picking up your soul hunters and you don't already have spirit apparitions um you're going to need to get some yeah luckily i have some old ones or portals or portals yeah you're right you'll you'll want portals and apparitions so so in that one box it's automatically going to trigger you into to buying uh at least three or four boxes of the portals and at least one box of spirit apparition yeah and the nice nice thing about this posse is when you look at the proposed theme posse, it's it's all there. It's all in that box. You know, you have a pretty good start to making that posse, which is, I mean, if I'm an enlightened player, I'm pretty excited for it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm already, my mind is already turning on what I can put this box with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just want the models. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I have I have other enlightened uh, models, I, you know, but models are really good. They're they're really cool looking models. So so here's the other question: is we have a box of six models, we have a posse that has six slots and the slot for the boss. Slot number six is a, a unit with a soul hunter trait. Now, uh, if you're like me, I'm going to probably over this next week go back through everything and see if I can find another Soul Hunter <laughs> keyword, you know, just because, you know, I, it's, it's probably hidden somewhere, just like there are other members of the Wayward Eight that are hidden in unit cards. So I'll be looking for Soul Hunter. <laughs> or, Unless Brian already knows where it is. Or, or it could be something that we have yet to see. It's not, not available yet. It's the same thing with the invocations. There's there's no sixth member of the team. Yeah. We have to wait. But we can't wait. <laughs> right? Well, time will tell, I guess. So Yeah, they just need to make the sixth spot an agent. <laughs> <laughs> for both that posse, for the Soul Hunters and for Infernal Investigations, just make those six slots agent. That way, you know, they're just like the, uh, you know, the secret see that six slot, just go dive into any of the other factions and, and pull your favorite agent, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, that about, that covers all our pre-releases for this month. It was a little smaller this month. Um, is, is it smaller? Well, we didn't get as many releases, but we got a pretty big <laughs> special release, so I think that makes up for it. Um, just go over real quick. I hope everybody took part in the uh, the train heist narrative campaign that we just kind of wrapped up. We have yet to find out who came out on top for the clues in that. I think the last we checked, the outlaws were leading the charge in that one, but I think the... Uh, the order was fast approaching them, so we'll we'll have to wait and see what the results of that is, which will reflect our Christmas model this year. But I didn't know that. 
I would have played an order versus order game last night. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to manipulate those no numbers. Way. I no see. Way. I, I see. see. How how is that I for? Don't see how, it is how 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 about that for a law and order player right there? <laughs> <laughs> But we'll go ahead and wrap up the show today. And like I mentioned earlier, you guys, stay tuned to after the credits. We're going to have uh, Benji's story on there for you guys to, in audio form so you guys can listen to it. And uh, Benji, thanks for coming on this episode and you know chit-chatting with me and Brian, all things Wild West Exodus. And, uh, you know, we, we, had, we had a pretty good talk in our smoke wagon today. That was a, you know... We we went pretty long in that one, but the, it was a fun one to go over with those two guys that we had. Um, so yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, Benji. Oh no, thank you. I'm, I'm very uh, humbled to take a part of this show. You guys have been doing a great job. Um, yeah, and Brian, you're still wrong. Uh, third man is still better. <laughs> so, um, but no. <laughs> I really appreciate you know all the hard work you guys. Uh, thank you for that contest, and like I said, I'm very humbled and. I'm I'm like these other guys. I want to talk Wild West Exodus. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, when we see each other next time, we can talk Wild West Exodus. And uh, if not, we'll see you on the the Facebook groups. But thank you again, guys. Fantastic. Right. Hey, thanks for joining us. And uh, until the next time, uh, you know, in the web. <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely, you guys can. Keep in mind, contact us on Facebook, Black Hoof WWX Podcast. Email us with any kinds of questions or suggestions at blackhoofsaloon at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Black Hoof Saloon and Instagram, Black Hoof Saloon Podcast. Until next time, guys, we'll go ahead and get out of here and uh, get ready for our spooky month coming up. Listen to Benji's story here. So, Ride with the sun at your back, and always roll those big crits, guys. We'll talk to you later. Take it easy. Benji, give him a yeehaw. Yeehaw. <laughs> That's very good. I think I just woke up half my house, so uh, my wife comes down here. We'll, we'll take the blame for it. Thanks for stopping by the Black Hoof Saloon, y'all. We hope you enjoyed your visit. Feel free to get a hold of us with comments or questions via the interwebs and shoot us a telegraph at blackhoofsaloon at gmail.com. You can also find us on the Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Music for the podcast was provided for use by Ross Bugden and can be found at one of his YouTube channels. Ross Bugden Music or Ross Bugden Composer. Until your next visit, ride with the sun at your back and always roll those big crits. Brian, for you, 
what is the one model you want to see right now? What's the one model you want to see? What is on your wish list for War Cradle? Um, I can't tell you. <laughs> it's redacted. 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 <laughs> yeah, that's wow. the. I think Brian already got the model he wants. He's yeah, he built really like did. three or four of them already. So we just got to go over Soul Hunters and and uh, Opie. Is that how you say it? Opie. Opie? I don't. Opie. I don't want to say it. I'm going to screw it up. <laughs> All right. Now you're making me think I'm, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> well, you find it, it up. Opie, right? I'll I'll go ahead and start us. Yeah. Well, according to the the Facebook, the book of faces right now, it is White Herb 56% over Jesse James. Yeah. It's pretty it's it was pretty close for a while, but yeah, it makes me sad. Well, it's Why? So hard. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Goody goody well, two I mean, shoes. Technically, we did we did kind of lead into it with you know Wyatt talking <laughs> uh, that's probably why got everyone jazzed up with the movie everybody's thinking oh, everybody's it. thinking that's Kurt Russell Kurt Russell's a badass <laughs> he was in big trouble I mean, in little China <laughs> I guess we could have done a little research and got a clip of Jesse James in one of the Jesse James movies but uh... <laughs> <laughs> no that's all right because actually, that's a good time for me to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh. Okie dokie. So if you needed to know. Yeah. We can hear the bathroom. All right. And I'm, <laughs> you know what? I'm still recording. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Don't worry, I didn't use a I didn't use a cacti uh, leaf to you know wipe or nothing. Yeah, no, we heard that too. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. Of course, you know if if this was an outtake, everyone would be wondering, well, did he wash his hands? Did we hear him wash his hands? They will never know. I heard a lot of water, and <laughs> it mostly sound like a. <laughs> Evacuation. <laughs> oh my god. So now you see where we got our outtakes, Benji? <laughs> You hear tales from the remote parts of our world about legendary names and great adventures. But can they be true? The Black Hoof Saloon presents a tall tale audio drama, a short story fan fiction from the West by a Wild West Exodus community member. Battle for Deadwood Gulch, authored by Benji Grosick.
Jake let out a long, low moan as he blinked his eyelids. There was a large fog that was surrounding his head, and his heart beat like the sound of a drum in his temples. His eyes couldn't focus through the fog that surrounded his head, and they blinked again. He rested on a cot on the edge of the makeshift camp. Each heavy blink allowed him to assess the world around him. He noticed K Free working on some iron horses. Again, the heavy eyelids closed as a drum in his temples kept banging. He opened his eyes again to see Sun Totem cleaning and preparing his medical tools on a sterile white tablecloth. The weight of his eyelids closed, and then opened to see Hicks Kincaid tearing down the campsite. The trees spun around him as he put his good foot down on the ground in an attempt to keep the world from spinning. It was a good attempt, but the grove of maple and oak trees kept spinning. He kept his eyes closed and his foot on the ground to get the sky to stop spinning. After a moment to collect himself, he slowly opened his eyes. This time, when he opened his eyes, he saw a flowing river looking at him quizzically and way too close for his liking. He fell backward from the cot and managed to get on all fours to expel the contents from last night. Is he poison? Flowing River asked in her blunt, monotone voice. That's just his body trying to expel the toxins from all the alcohol he drank last night. Replied Sun Totem. From the sounds of it, he's had what's called a hangover. Sun Totem stared down at the man heaving and moving groggily. You're really enjoying this, aren't you? Jake said while wiping his mouth. He attempted to get to his feet, but staggered a little, and then dropped back down to all fours as the world spun around him. From what I understand, everyone at the Black Hoof Saloon enjoyed a copious amount of alcohol last night. Did you manage to blow all of your share from our last job in one night of drinking and fun? Suntorum asked quizzically while he sorted and organized his medical supplies. Unfortunately, there isn't much I could do medically to help you with your current condition. Perhaps Kayfrey has some coffee to help with your head. Sun Totem stated as he cleaned a set of scalpels before gently placing them into a leather-strapped carrying case. Jake knew it was going to be a long day as he looked around the camp for a bit of hair of the dog. He crawled across the camp on all fours for a bottle of wine that was sitting on the ground. He greedily grabbed the green bottle, swirled it around to see if any of the contents remained. Hoping for anything to help with the pounding, Jake sat up to drink the last remaining liquid, but before the bottle touched his lips, it was quickly pulled away. Ah, ah, ah. Captain's orders. No alcohol for you this morning, said Hicks Kincaid, snatching the bottle away from Jake's hands. Hicks leaned in with a smirk on his face. I heard someone had a very pleasant time last night. Rumor has it that your singing with the piano player Eric was so divine that everyone who heard it will forever remember your angelic voice. <laughs> yeah, I've been known to sing a pretty tune from time to time, whether it's in my voice or singing shots with Barry. Besides, that feller Eric was good people. I think you would rather enjoy his company. Don't know why you and Zarella didn't come into town with us last night. Jake said as he reached out and grabbed the bottle of wine from Hicks and slammed the remaining liquid. Jake coughed and sputtered and tossed the empty bottle across camp. The small camp was set up on the outskirts of town in a nice, cool, wooded area. 
Very rarely did they set up camp in town. Something about reputation, a war, and a strange mix of people that drew too much attention when they stayed in towns. Where is our beloved captain anyway? Jake looked around the camp for any signs of the wayward eight leader. Kay Free looked up from the iron horse she was working on. They went on patrol this morning before we head out across the plains to Deadwood. He didn't seem too happy about something. He muttered something about a bartender at the saloon you were at. Sound like it was an interesting time you had. She said with a smile on her face. She extended her hands with a bent cup of dark liquid. Her hands were oil-stained and grimy, yet she was able to complete the most delicate of procedures to keep all of their vehicles up and running. Right before she handed him the cup of liquid, she hesitated. Hold on. Just one second. She said with a little doubt in her voice. She pulled the metal cup up to her nose and gave a deep smell of the liquid. She quietly and quickly retraced her steps to grab a different cup. Yep, that one was oil. And now this one is coffee. Her bubbly voice chimed as she handed him that different cup. Jake's eyes stayed closed as he enjoyed his cup of coffee, the wind blowing in the trees while the others prepped the camp and their gear. In the distance, he could hear the sounds of iron horses coming closer to camp. He kept his eyes closed to keep the world from spinning. He figured the world couldn't spin if he didn't see it. He took another large gulp of the black bitter as iron horses came closer. He heard the three iron horses come to a stop and Cape Free's bubbly voice. Oh, hey, Captain. Everything here is shiny. Well, almost everything. Jake could hear the spurs on the large boots start walking towards him. He still kept his eyes shut. The steps came closer until they finally stopped beside him. Jake slowly opened his eyes to see the leader of the Wayward Eight standing above him with a look of anger in his face. Jake stammered out, Oh, hey, Mark. Whoa! Before the man could even finish speaking his name, the leader had grabbed him by the shirt and pulled Jake to his feet. The almost empty coffee cup clanged across the ground, filling the dark liquid. Do you know why we were out on patrol this morning? Marcus asked him through clenched teeth. Jake took a moment to think. Because it's purdy morning? Marcus let go of the obviously confused man who fell to the ground. Jake landed on his ass and let out a little grunt. Do you remember anything from last night? Anything about that bartender? Anything about the Black Hoof Saloon? Marcus asked his teammates. Jake took a moment to think. Oh, yeah. That nice guy from Texas. Brian. Real smart about the world. Jake's face lit up. He kept buying me drinks and listening to everything I had to say. Sierra, who was just joining the conversation, took a moment to adjust her flowing clothing after riding the iron horse. She looked at Jake and asked, Don't you think I'm a little too friendly? Jake quickly snapped back at Marcus and Sierra. Ain't nothing wrong with someone showing me a little respect and chatting things up with me. Marcus quickly responded. There is if that same nice man from Texas is an agent in the Infernal Investigations. Marcus had a definite look of frustration on his face. You of all people should know that we don't need anyone getting their nose in our affairs. Consider this a warning. If you can't keep your mouth from yapping every time you drink, then maybe you need to think about who you're drinking with. 
Jake quickly stood up in a defiant stance face-to-face to Marcus. Everyone in the camp started to gather around the two men with an aura of tension from them radiating like a star. Sierra quickly interrupted the staring contest. The bartender wasn't the only person you got friendly with last night, was it, Jake? Okay, Free chimed in. Oh, please do tell. How scandalous. Marcus quickly raised an eyebrow in intrigue. Please don't tell me. He stated. No, nothing like that. She was the cutest and gentlest woman I'd ever met. I tried to kiss her, but she turned me down every time. Her name was Tanya. Jake said to the crowd. Sierra quickly added. (laughs) Especially since she had an Adam's apple. The group around the camp laughed except for Marcus and Flowing River. Marcus held a hand up, speechless, raising a few fingers, and tried to mouth some words before he brought his hand to his mouth and rested his chin in his hand to keep him from talking. Flowing River looked at Suntotem inquisitively. It means that she was actually a he. My, what an interesting day it's turned out to be, Suntotem stated. Sierra quickly interjected the castle of the camp. It's okay, Jake. His name was Tom, and he was the madam of the Blackcliff Saloon and very attractive. Quite the charming fellow from Pennsylvania. If I remember correctly, he suggested you find someone in Deadwood at Saloon Number 10, a firecracker named Jane. Sir, we need to be leaving shortly to make sure we meet our contact at the appropriate time. I enjoy the stories of the Black Oak Saloon a great deal, but we do have a job. Zerelda said to the group. Marcus snapped back to reality and began giving orders for the group to break down camp and get ready to head west to the Black Hills of Dakota and head to Deadwood. Without hesitation, Kit gave a shout out. So long, Black Hoop Saloon. It has been interesting. Walks looking paused at the top of the ridge. Raven's Eye walked beside her silently. The two had been walking the ridges surrounding the plains of Bear Butte. The tribe had been camped at the base of the Butte for about a month now. The sacred ground is just northeast of Boulder Canyon, the entryway into Deadwood. The two walked along the ridge, approaching three mercenaries walking slowly towards them. Their black silhouettes hidden from the view of the tribe and camped at the base of the Butte. The black shapes began to take form, Marcus Wayward leading the group with a dark-skinned woman on his left and a very graceful woman on his right. Good evening, Mr. Wayward. I hope your travels were smooth. Walks looking said to the leader of the mercenary crew. As smooth as the Badlands can make them. Beautiful country this is. You didn't ask us to travel all this way to discuss the sights and views. Marcus said plainly, then quickly grimaced at the thought of who he was talking with. He had just asked a woman with bandanas over her eyes about the scenic beauty of the land. This land is sacred to my people, Mr. Wayward. There is beauty and peace in this land. There was at least. The leader of the Moyer Nation calmly replied, That was until everyone understood the riches that this land had to offer. The war is over, and now Deadwood is starting to explode with excitement. The earth is being torn 
into for the precious metals that lie within. The hard work of men and women in the mines have been replaced by the monstrosities of Carpathian who can work harder and longer than even the most skilled miner. To the west we have heard of ones not from this world fighting over Devil's Peak. Both the light and dark invaders are drawn to that formation. The once beautiful hills are now filled with darkness and evil. It seems that the war that your kind fought in the east has come to our sacred lands. Her hand was held up to trace the hills on the horizon. Tell me, Mr. Wayward, did you fight on the winning or losing side of the war? Funny thing about war as we know it, there will always be people who try to put into words to define a war. Men and women can fight wars, bury the dead, and try to rebuild them from it, but they will never, ever be able to leave it. Words come and go from our lungs into the air to be taken into the winds. Words can be written onto treaties, but you and I both know that those signed papers are worthless. Of course, people want to come home to Deadwood to start over, to make themselves new after they lost so much in the war. They can change names, clothing, even how they talk, but they cannot ever change what the war did to them. We may try to live our lives as normal as possible, but we'll always carry war with us. Marcus stated it in reply. For some of us, all we know is war and the scars it leaves on our souls. Fighting those wars over and over in our minds, bodies and souls are all we know. Every day that we're breathing, we're winning the wars that they're raging inside. So yes, I fought in the war. Yes, I was on a side. But the fact I'm here talking with you proves something. He took a second to collect his thoughts and glanced to Zerelda and Flowing River at his side. Once, a wise man told me that we all have two wolves fighting in our souls, a good one and a bad one. The one we feed is the one that wins. Not all of us have two wolves. Waxlokin said with a certain shortness in her words. She walked towards Flowing River. One day, I would like to spar with you. She held her knife out, pointing it at Flowing River. The mercenary stared at the warrior nation boss and nodded as a sign of respect. I'm sure there's lots of people who would pay good money to see that, Marcus stated. Speaking of money, what is our job? I want you to take me into the hills. I want you to escort me to see exactly what evil befouls my people's holy land. A large force of my people would cause more unrest to the delicate nature of the peace we have achieved. I don't want the Union to hunt us more than they already do. If we were to be blamed for an attack on the lawless brigades that habitat the streets of Deadwood, you have an elite force of people at your disposal, and we need to move fast, quick, and have little to no questions. Something about these hills are drawing my people from all over the country to converge. Walks looking said with a certain firmness in her voice. 
I will meet you in your camp in a couple of hours. I have business to attend to with Raven's Eye and my tribe. Walks looking sad as she walked away from the group of mercenaries. When the two ladies from the Warrior Nation were out of hearing distance, Flowing River stated calmly, She isn't looking for people. She is looking for part of her. We all are. Marcus said. He turned and started back to the camp. We're all looking for a part of us that we lost or was taken from us. Thank you for listening to our audio drama of A Tall Tale, and we hope you enjoyed the yarn. This has been a Black Hoof Saloon production. Till next time, take it easy.